Welcome to the Kitchfork Media Podcast, an anti-nostalgic look back on indie music of the aughts and sometimes regular music of before the aughts. <laughs> um, <laughs> I am your co-host, Max Cohen. I am your other co-host, Liz Ryerson, and we have a guest today. Aaron, would you like to introduce yourself? I would love to. Uh, hello, everyone. My name is Aaron Casillas, and I am the producer and co-host of the 90s movie and politics podcast, Hit Factory. Uh, excited to be here with you today, Liz and Max. So excited to have you. Because we were talking about a 90s album, um, which I guess we should introduce in a second, um, I wanted to have Aaron on because you have a 90s movies podcast, so it's kind of like a crossover yeah, the big crossover event of the season. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no more stars in the sky because they're all on this podcast. <laughs> um, but yes, uh, what, what album are we talking about today, Max? Oh my God, we're talking about the best album, one of my favorite albums of all time, uh, The Lonesome Crowded West by Modest Mouse. Woo! Yes. Absolutely stoked for this. <laughs> From 1997. Our guests have been like batting a thousand because, you know, James brought in Source Tags and Codes, which is like one of my favorite albums ever. And now we're doing this. Well, and we had uh, the Liz Fair album as well. That's true. Although I don't think Audrey would have picked that if given the choice. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, we could have Audrey back on yeah. to pick something else yeah. if she wants. Um, but yeah. Uh, so uh, a big, important album in, in the realm of indie rock. Actually, we had a whole... I was talking to Aaron for a while about like what '90s indie album do you want to do, and this is the album that we all that was all our one agreement point. <laughs> doing an episode, the one yes. thing that could bring uh, us all together. Exactly, it's Modest Mouse brings everyone together. Um, but yeah, uh, so you know, there's a lot to say about this album, but I want to go first into what is everyone's background with both Modest Mouse and this album. If we want to start uh, with Aaron, if we want to start with you. Uh, sure. So let me try to think back uh, because Modest Mouse has been a part of my life now for most of it. Um, I guess I was probably like, yeah, I was probably like 13 or 14 the first time I, I heard Modest Mouse. It must have been like 14 because actually my my introduction to Modest Mouse, like I think a lot of people of my particular age group, those kind of like middle millennial age folks uh, got into Modest Mouse with good news for people who love bad news. Right. And uh, my, my first introduction to Modest Mouse was like watching fuse tv in the middle of the day and seeing the float on video in like two th late 2003 early 2004 um and then it was from there just kind of like that album that cd was with me in, like in my backpack or like in like a disc man for uh, a really really long time throughout you know early high school years uh and then I think I came to their earlier stuff uh, very quickly after that, Moon in Antarctica and Lonesome Crowded West. I think actually Lonesome Crowded West was the last one I heard. I, I was really, really into Moon in Antarctica for a while. 
but once I heard that one and, and just from like those opening notes of uh, Teeth Like God's Shoeshine, uh, it was all over. Like that became my, my favorite Modest Mouse record, like bar none. Um, and I, I played music in high school. I, I was in like traditional band. I played trumpet uh, and also like played bass guitar, you know, just kind of recreationally and started a, a goofy little like, you know, like emo indie punk band with some friends. And, and we kind of played around the, the greater St. Louis area uh, where I grew up. And we all had kind of our different tastes and proclivities. But like on this show, I think Lonesome Crowded West was like the kind of one sort of like keystone to our musical experiences that all of us could agree on. And all of us could kind of say, if we could aspire to sound something like this, like that wouldn't suck. Mm-hmm. That's so funny. That's like Modest Mouse the, is the agreement point of everyone. Everybody they're the, they're loves the Modest great Mouse. equalizer. Truly. <laughs> Although I have learned that Modest Mouse is not nearly as popular in like the UK or Europe as the US. Yeah, Maybe but that's not Britain true. has notoriously right. terrible taste in music. <laughs> <laughs> well, there are some bands like the Pixies that are actually more popular in the UK than. So I don't. I don't know what to make of that but anyway um wonderful uh max what's your background yeah so funnily enough thinking about how modest mouse brings everybody together the first time i heard of them was like my sister's friend's boyfriend who was like the cool music guy i knew when i was like 12 you know he was the one who's like um thought i was cool because i listened to like nick drake and radiohead and so we would talk about shit like that and he, at one point in a car ride, he mentioned, he brought up like, hey, have you heard Modest Mouse? And I was like, no, what are they? And he was like, oh, the worst band I've ever heard in my life. Um, Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. And like when a guy whose who's musical taste you respect says that when you're a kid, you're like, oh, I have to understand what's going on here. And the first thing I checked out was like a, a little clip of Teeth Like God's Shoeshine on like Amazon.com or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and it terrified me. You know, when you're like, a, <laughs> really? when you're a kid, like the opening bit of Teeth Like God's Shoeshine is so atonal and full of screaming that it, yeah. it felt like I didn't know what to make of it, but it stuck with me for a long time. And so again, you know, when um, Good News came out and all my friends started talking about Modest Mouse, I was like, oh yeah, those guys, um, you know, I got good news and I love good news. But, um, and then right after that, I was like, um, well, where, where will I go next? Probably the album that scared me as a child. Um, and I got Lonesome Crowded West, and that lived in my car CD player for years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that was like, it's uh, funnily enough, um, from the band that wrote, uh, this is a long drive for somebody with nothing to think about. The thing about Texas is everything's really far away from each other. So you have, you're <laughs> driving for hours just to commute to school or to work or whatever. So I was in the car most of my life and most of that time in the car was listening to this album. Um, this is like the car album, I think. Absolutely. And and from there, I mean, like, you know, I just kept exploring and, you know, all their other albums are so good. Uh, I just kind of got obsessed with them. It was, and this is funny because I'm, I'm infamously on this uh, podcast, the, the I don't care about lyrics person. Modest Mouse was maybe the first band where like the lyrics actually got me. Uh, that's good yeah. i'm glad that you were converted in some way yeah <laughs> for one ju- just for this band um <laughs> just here nowhere else but then like you know they, i put modest mouse lyric, lyrics as my yearbook quote 
you know, like I was. What was the quote? Yeah, which um, one? I think it was uh, the universe is shaped exactly like the earth. If you go straight along enough, you'll end up oh. where you were. Which is not true from what I understand. <laughs> uh, well, no, but, it, it, you know, metaphorically, uh, I guess I was saying I will be stuck here forever. Um, but um, I don't know. I, we'll get into it later, but there, there's something about like somebody who is, you know, rural with a lisp and an accent, you know, you know, singing about, you know, living in trailer parks and shit with like this very like poetic beauty that like mm. made me feel seen um, in a way that like, you know, most music did not. And if I can say that, like, there's maybe in my life, there's maybe two albums I can say, like, oh, this album, like, saved my life. And this would be one of them. Like, it's, oh, it's wow. huge for me. Um, Are we going hmm. to talk about the other one at some point? Maybe. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. I, I don't want to. We won't spoil what it is. Yeah, but. no. That, that's a surprise. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no. So, I, I could not be more excited to be talking about this fucking album. Woof. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Um. So yeah, my background with Modest Mouse, I don't know, pretty similar to a lot of other people. Um, it's a, a big indie band who I heard the name of. I think I downloaded, I saw that, you know, Lonesome Crowded West be very, uh, you know, rapturously reviewed and talked about online. Um, I downloaded, I think, Doing the Cockroach uh, off file sharing and I liked it. And uh, didn't think about them for a while. And then my brother, my older brother bought... Um, Building nothing out of something, the uh, singles, mm-hmm. an incredible album. compilation, maybe Great the best yeah, besides the, compilation ever made. <laughs> yeah, one of, definitely one of the 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 best, the better if not best uh, B sides compilation. So I listened to that a lot, and that was like the summer where I worked at this outdoor pool uh, that I I hated. I mean, it, and and they played the worst fucking radio. You know, it was all fucking. I don't know, it was like a lot of Christian rock because I grew up in, you know, central Ohio, very Christian. Um, but that was also the summer where like the one indie rock song that you heard on the radio in fucking uh, the Hiawatha community pool in Mount Vernon, Ohio right. was flowed on by Modest Mouse. <laughs> it weirdly com- commercial. It was like flowed on and then there was that one car commercial with Gravity Rides Everything on it. Mm. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. That- but, um, oh, yeah. But, um, so I, yeah. And I later on, I was on like the swim team and I made like a mix CD, I think when I was in high school. And I put Never Ending Math Equation on it as the first track. And it was mostly like, you know, it was mostly like indie rock. So I, I didn't think most people would like it. I was, tr- I was perpetually like trying to convert people where I grew up to indie rock because <laughs> most people didn't listen to it. Right. Like radio, like I'd, I'd be like, oh, I'm into Radiohead, and people are like, oh, I've never heard of them. Yep. Oh God. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. And then yeah, because then like I remember, I remember going to some camp, and I remember being like, oh, Radiohead's my favorite band. They're kind of obscure. And this kid who was from like Chicago was like, what are you talking about? No, they're, they're not obscure. <laughs> um, you probably wouldn't have heard of them. <laughs> yeah, but um. I put in never ending math equation and I, I distinctly remember like people were like getting up and dancing for it. I was like, what? Why does everyone like this so much? I remember this kid, Micah, who was like, you know, definitely like, uh, you know, he was he was pretty rednecky and he was like he was like cut and loose uh, to never ending math equation. I'm like, damn, 
Uh, Modest Mouse hits a note here. Um, but yeah. Uh, and then uh, I think I bought the CD for Lonesome Crowded West and I would listen to it on like road. It became the album when my family would like drive to the uh, to the East Coast um, that I listened to. It's just like a perfect road album. And I heard uh, Moon in Antarctica later. And then, yeah, I, I mean, basically my Modest Mouse, you know, following journey kind of stopped after that i never really listened to good news but uh those handful of albums i i still really really like so yeah awesome yeah um, again it's so good yeah it's true it's true um yeah modest mouse let's start i think with uh the original pitchfork review which is hard to find um it's hard to find a lot of pitchfork reviews from this era i had to find them through archive.org um there, there's not much to talk about here, but um, you know, it's nice to see what a, a bunch of high schoolers in the in the '90s who were blogging about music are saying. Regardless, uh, so Max, yeah. do you want to read from that from, review from one of the few credited reviews we get to read? Um, from... Oh well, it's because it's because it, uh, it's because it's on archive.org that it's credited, right? Uh, from uh... Pitchfork stalwart Mark Richardson before he added he changed his name to Mark Richardson for like a decade. Um, <laughs> anyways, uh, yeah, so this is an eight point nine, so you can tell they loved it. Um, for the uninitiated, Modest Mouse hail from the Seattle area and sound like a jammier Pixies if Black Francis had attention deficit disorder. This mouse can't be but so modest. What the fuck line is that? This mouse can't be but so modest, releasing two double albums, including the Lonesome Crowded West. Double albums in the vinyl sense, they all fit on one CD. Um, two EPs and three singles in just over a year. Such quantity implies a confidence not quite realized until this album. Here, we find a little of everything. A turntable adding scratches to the conventional rock sound of Hart Cook's brain. A down-by-the-river fiddle on Jesus Christ was an only child. A few pop nuggets and several longer pieces with half a dozen uh, tempo changes. Thematic blue binds the musical sprawl with stream-of-consciousness lyrics touching on the familiar mouse topics of suburban decay, the lonely road, confusion, and dislocation. Oh, God. Uh, Frontman Isaac Brock's lyrics are like a glass table at an SNL cast party with finely chopped lines pointing in all directions. Uh, my, you know, he just quotes uh, yeah, a couple lyrics. lyrics yeah. When a band's oldest member is 23, the active word is usually potential. Mouse Mouse, however, have arrived. Um, That's the most interesting thing so to young. me. They're so young. Yeah, they're so young. So there's a uh, documentary that hopefully we all watched at some point. Um <laughs> Uh, that Pitchfork commissioned. So Pitchfork had like a series of documentaries about sort of seminal albums. Mm -hmm. And they did like, I think there were four and they did them all around the same time. And they have never done anything like that since. Probably the best um, media they ever did. Um, yeah. Like it's really sad that there aren't more of them. I Yeah. Well, it'd be harder to make fun of them if they were still making really good album documentaries. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, and of course the elephant in the room here is that between the last time that we were going to talk about the, the album and now, like last time when we were recording, we were going to like 
make fun of them a little bit for being like, oh, they're on this reunion tour for this album that they made, you know, 25 years ago when they were all 23, you know, isn't this so sad? Isn't this depressing? And then, you know, within a few weeks of that, uh, Jeremiah Green, the drummer, got diagnosed with cancer and died only if, like a week later. Yeah, it was stage and four. I didn't see, I felt like I saw nothing about it. And I realized that's because they announced it like on New Year's Day, like mm-hmm. that he had died. Um, so it was so, I don't know, it was just so sudden. Because they were in the middle of a tour for this album. He was only 45 years old. He was the youngest member of the band. Um, so, yeah, it's really sad and depressing. And uh, I don't know. It, it kind of bummed me out coming back to them uh, talking about this because it just reminded me again on how, on how like, being a musician has a fucking short lifespan. <laughs> Yeah, although I don't know, I don't know if being a drummer gives you cancer. Um. <laughs> but like, uh, what's her name from Low died also very around the same time. Um, yeah, yeah, Mimi, I don't know, Mimi from Low, Mimi Parker. Yeah, yeah, and and then another band that I followed for years, the Drones slash Tropical Fuckstorm. Uh, Fiona, the the bassist, um, just got diagnosed with cancer too. So I I don't know. Uh Really depressing. Um, it is, yeah. But yeah, the documentary is really good, um, but it is kind of weird and sad because it's like, even that documentary is like 10 years old now. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I'm like the same age as Jeremiah Green in that documentary. <laughs> uh, now, which, damn, that's really it, depressing. I could have done it. without you saying that. Yeah, Liz, that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. Um but yeah, one other thing I wanted to read from because it's more classically Pitchfork. I mean, we're talking about like Pitchfork in the 90s was basically a, a blog written by mostly high schoolers. Uh, so this is a more classically what people uh, know of Pitchfork as. Uh, this is from the top 100 albums of the 1990s uh, written by William Bowers, who I remember seeing a lot um, on the site in those days. Okay. Those 74 ambitious minutes emphatically shoved this three-piece out uh, in front of the acts in which they've been compared. An impressive list topped by Built to Spill, the Pixies, and Daniel Johnston. Sporting a crown of sagebrush and bleeding beer, Isaac Brock barked and whimpered this disc from atop some craggy creative peep while his guitars got into the spirit of Stephen King's directorial debut, Maximum Overdrive, and began to play the hell out of themselves. Oh, God. God. All the frogs. <laughs> what does that mean? Uh, what, is, what are you trying uh, to there's, say? There's, there's so much more. Um, all the Brock's major preoccupations are realized here. Intoxicating wanderlust, elementary science tidbits, compartmentalized feelings, situational ethics, dogs, and pioneer pet Pentness. Um, entities that Brock's calls God and Christ get treated like narrative Play-Doh, popping up as sadist, sadists, impish tykes, and Robert Evans. What? Is there a line about Robert Evans? <laughs> yeah, that's um, I, not that I know of. Okay. Songs morph and metatis, metastatize. Metastasize. Metastasize. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> uh, it talks about the songs. Um, 
there's some really weird lines. It says the epic misanthropy of doing the cockroach builds to the extreme sport proportions that reduce potheads to nothing to noting that bro, if you take shit out of catharsis, it leaves a scar. Half of the album is creepily and dreamily confident. Brock even fashions his own quote unquote jive or Isabonics. I while the rest I hate this so much. <laughs> while the rest reveals a, vulner- a vulnerability, trailer trash and bankrupt on selling are effing sob reapers. Effing spelled E F F I N G. God. Calvin Johnston and Johnson and Phil Eck, the two people who produced this album, we'll talk about that in a second, perfectly captured the surf prom post grunge while letting Jeremiah Green sound like the meters is Zig Modalesti. I don't know who that is. Uh, Brock's mystic view of cities and realist view of the pastoral make a record, make the record an Iliad for soul searching casual cokeheads on the lemon water diet. Um, that line right there, wow. I want to repeat that line, okay. Brock's <laughs> mystic view of cities and realist view of the pastoral make the record an Iliad for soul-searching casual cokeheads on the lemon water diet. I, I remember that line really vividly because that described me at some point. Um, <laughs> um, for the record, but, just, just, you, just so no... Were, were you on the lemon water diet? I drank a lot of lemon water. Um, okay, <laughs> but you weren't like you know, detoxing. No, I would not know what that meant. For the record, for people who just so nobody gets mad, the Meters were a, a, a funk band. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, and Zig was their their drummer. Okay, sorry. I I know we spent a long time on that, but we we have to you know appreciate it's incredible the, the nuggets when they come to us like this. the catharsis bit. I also stuck in my mind for a long time because I. I have to think, how long have you been waiting to use that? <laughs> you must have thought it was so, so special. You got to shoot your shot when you get the chance, know. you know? That's what it's all about. Um, but yeah, so there's a whole documentary about this album. Uh, Pitchfork later reviewed the um, re-release and gave it a 10, which... A lot of the you know reissue reviews are not very interesting to read. No, so. they're, 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 it's a lot more Pitchfork trying to establish their canon. Um, yeah. It feels more like a curating a museum piece than a review. Yeah. So you were saying something interesting, Max, that I thought about. Um, and as far as like this album being kind of something that uh, gives a profundity to like rural, you know trailers and stuff like that mm-hmm. um i always think about this era of indie as like sorry specifically um encapsulated by the song from built to spill the first song from uh perfect from now on which is randy describes eternity right the yep like that is so that era of indie to me like if you think about the, like the flaming lips you think about Modest Mouse, you think about Built to Spill, you think about, I don't know, Granddaddy, a bunch of bands like that. There's this like uh, working class element to it yep. that, you know, was very important to like that era of indie in a way, rock. In a way that like before it wasn't and after it stopped being as well, you know, before it was all college rock and, and after it was mostly like nepotism babies in New York. 
Um, well, yeah, yeah, it was like NYU undergrads and stuff like that. So there's, it was this kind of really interesting moment of, yeah, of, yeah, working class poeticism um, that I think also like a lot of the bands we just, you just described are like very ramshackle kind of acts, you know, they, they feel, you know, they, they started young and they're, they're talking about their, their shithole go nowhere towns in a way that like, you don't hear any, but in this, yeah, in this like very cosmic way, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, they're, they're cowboy dance, right? It feels very much like, you know, a drunk pointing his rifle at the sky to kill God. Um, <laughs> it's very like, so mundane, extremely down to earth look at the cosmos or, or just like any kind of profundity. You know, the idea that, that, that working class and rural people could be profound you know, on their own terms and not as like, you know, magical, <laughs> magical hicks. Yeah, that's what feels like so quintessentially American to me about like, I mean, not just not that that indie in general, but like especially Modest Mouse. There's something very, they, you know, they are an, an American indie. band. Yeah. <laughs> And and just the the repeated fixation on driving and you know that those kind of rhythms, um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I I just think that's interesting to think about. You know, because we talk about two thousands indie, that whole image changed. And I think for for me and maybe for you, Max, and and maybe for you as well, Aaron, like there is something that kind of was lost uh, after a certain point of like coming out of the the grunge alternative res revolution which was very much happening in isaac brock's uh home state of washington um well he grew up uh sort of around oregon and montana but eventually moved to issaquah washington which is kind of on the east side sort of near bellevue it's a it's actually kind of like twin peaks country it's <laughs> right. sort of close it, to it's a logging town issaquah's a logging town mm-hmm yeah, it's very close to Snoqualmie, where like a lot of Twin Peaks was filmed. Uh, and a friend of mine grew grew up. Uh, oh wow! Shout out to my friend Jay. Uh, but, um, but yeah, like, uh, but yes, uh, as he describes in the documentary, uh, it was a very nice town that uh, very quickly got mall fucked. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> I love that term. You could see it everywhere. Like it was a real, it was a real ass thing. This this suburban sprawl of like strip malls and shit just kind of when I we'll get into this when we get into like the lyrics and the songs but stuff like like uh like parking lot you know that the idea that most of the space in your town has become the parking lot at the Walmart Supercenter um you know yeah <laughs> like and this is I where mean, we have that to, happened this is where we have to hang out yeah, I mean, that happened where I grew up, too. Like, there was a downtown that was, like, historic. We had, like, a historic opera house that no one used. And and then they just build out a huge sprawl with fucking Walmart and, you know, everything else. And that's where everyone spent their time. And I remember being really depressed by that it, as a kid. Yeah. It's, it's depressing, yeah. deeply. <laughs> but, yeah, um, I so Isaac Brock uh, grew up he kind of had a rough childhood from what it sounds like he grew up uh at various different places his family was poor mm -hmm. uh at one place i read he grew up religious like he was homeschooled for uh part of the time which which kind of goes with his fixation on religion um he's very much an atheist um and there was one point where he lived in a trailer park which he describes in the in the documentary as not being as bad as he as he made it out um 
But he did say stuff like, you know, I saw in some other interview that uh, there was one point where him and his uh, mother and uh, brother were like living in a fucking like the basement of their church pastor or priest. And it was really weird. Mm -hmm. Um, And he said that they like he had to speak in tongues when he was a kid and things like that. Uh, so very religious, um, but yeah, eventually ended up in Issaquah where he met, um, <laughs> uh, the anecdote that I saw, <laughs> saw about him meeting, uh, Eric Judy, the bassist was that he saw Eric Judy, like go into like a music store and, uh, Eric Judy was wearing an Oconochrist t-shirt Perfect, and he's Beautiful. like, Hey, Christ sucks <laughs> to Eric <laughs> Judy. Incredible. This is how bad start yeah. when you're a child. <laughs> They became fast friends, and then apparently they met Jeremiah Green at like a um, a Hari Krishna temple. He was like a weird straight edge kid. Um, that makes sense at to the me. time. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, and and they were high schoolers. They were they were uh, high schoolers who like the 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 thing about Modest Mouse that always sticks with me is that they're kind of a jam band and. Part of that is that their whole regimen was like they had this shed they practiced in for like hours at a time, just jamming over and over and over again. Like, yeah. And they started recording early, like Sad Sappy Sucker, which is sort of their first album, even though it wasn't released until much later, was recorded when they were all in high school. Yeah. Have you have either uh, have you heard Sad Sappy Sucker, Aaron, before? Uh, I have. It's it's not. Uh, one that I have a ton of familiarity with, but I have definitely like spun it when I was in kind of the phase of just collecting everything I could on the band and listening to it. I, I don't remember loving it very much, but uh, um, I have heard it. The 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 Fisherman song was really good, but a lot of it is sort of semi generic second wave emo and post hardcore. Yeah, I I'm always fascinated, and maybe this is my specific fascination because I really like the Beck albums with the weird recordings where he's like, "Oh, it's October fifteenth. All the plants are diseased." The stereoscopic soul manures. Yeah, yeah. Um, Isaac Brock has like like telephone messages, like answering machine messages that he recorded, or he like call people and like you know just like just make up stuff on the spot and put them on their answering. But someone I know who had met him said that, uh, he did that to, to the, he did that for them one time. This was, this was like um, a thing. Cause the silver Jews used to do that. They used to like, uh, record voicemails on Sonic youth's phone. Um, and like, you know, infamously, uh, they might be giants did. <laughs> the oh, whole dial a song thing. But yeah, so they formed like in the 90s and this is when grunge was blowing up um in Seattle, but they're kind of outside of Seattle. Uh but they went into Seattle to play shows and but the big place that they went was Olympia, which is where K Records and Calvin Johnson, a thing that we've already talked about so much and we're going to continue to talk about on this goddamn the, podcast. The twee horny dad which is it, it's so interesting because Olympia is, is is a pretty small town, but it's a college um, town, right? Yeah, and it was like it's weird how crucial Olympia was to like just indie rock in general. Um, but yeah, they went down to Olympia, and I think uh, some of the bands that played there. They mentioned this band called Link, who I'd never heard of. Oh, Link's great. They there was a reissue okay. of their album. 
not that long ago. It was really, really good. But yeah, they mentioned Link as being a, a huge inspiration point. And, and, you know, Isaac met Calvin Johnson, started giving him some of his early tapes, um, which in the documentary, there's clips of Calvin being like, you know, these are some nice young boys who are going to go places. The, yeah, the, the Calvin Johnson, like, early clips on that documentary are quintessentially Calvin Johnson. Yeah. Just, like, half, half ironic, like, dad humor. Yeah, what I find so interesting about the documentary is, like, I don't know. I, I noticed this also with the slow dive documentary um, that Pitchfork did is that everyone seems like weirdly bummed out or like <laughs> there's just a weird energy. The only person who it seems not who seems not affected by it is Phil Eck. He just seems incredibly normal. Dan Gallucci <laughs> seems, seemed I don't all right. <laughs> who seemed all right? Dan Gallucci. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah I guess they they right. spent a really long time with Dan Gallucci for someone who like in the grand scheme of things does not have that much influence on modest mouse. I gotta say, no, Well, he seems to be in and out of the band. Like, and, and somebody who is, I mean, he contributed two of the songs and he was also, he was also a full-time member, I think on good news. Yeah. He was Uh, by that point for sure. So maybe that has something to do with it, but it's just like, you know, like I, I guess, and maybe I'm underplaying his, his influence on there because, you know, some of the two, I guess two of the most, famous and maybe popular songs off of Lonesome Crowded West are kind of partly his, but uh, yeah, it's just, he, he was the one in the video that seemed to me like, Oh, there's been a lot of time with Gallucci. Like maybe he just right. like had a lot to say and, and gave them like a, a supreme level of access. I think maybe he was also the most, he seems like the most approachable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The thing I think about Isaac Brock is he's he's one of those guys like, I don't know, he, he reminds me so much of someone I went to high school with who was just kind of like a, a, a very affable kid who constantly gets into trouble uh, and like, you know, very likable, but also just like c- cannot shut up, you know. <laughs> <laughs> just like it constantly talks and i've i've seen interviews with him where he says like yeah i was like i'm just constantly talking and both eric and jeremiah are very very quiet people so mm-hmm. i kind of naturally ended up becoming the vocalist because of that um but yeah and, but that kind of describes the dynamic of the band <laughs> i think yeah um Although Jeremiah Green is a very fucking powerful um, drummer. No, the rhythm section was, rips, I guess. Like, yeah, oh yeah. Jeremiah is a, a very unique drummer too. They mentioned it in the doc that he's really Tom heavy and very like groove oriented. There's a lot of open high at disco beats mixed with like these like almost proggy Tom rolls that's like gives a really organic feel, like an organic traveling feel to Modest Mouse and like would the thing about air duty jeremiah green seems like a drummer that would be very hard to lock in with as a bassist but jeremiah green does a really good job of it and they just yeah it's a really strong backbone for um isaac brock to make noise to freak out on his guitar (laughs) yeah essentially to yell at the pickups yep um but yeah so i i think i i think i a reason why the Olympia stuff is so important is it seems like that was like the crucial influence, you know, beyond like he mentions the Pixies and the Talking Heads and, you know, a lot of bands that you would assume 
were were big inspirations. Um, also, like I don't know, there's a definitely like a, a hip hop influence inflection to Modest Mouse that's kind of hard to ignore. For sure. Uh, I mean, yeah, there's there's definitely. They they say it in the doc they wanted people to dance and according to you they were effective at it, um, <laughs> and and you can feel it you know like um, the the kind of er example of this right is Tiny Cities Made of Ashes from the next album, um, but there's lots of like really tight rhythmic shifts here. Um, they always have like a weird demented carnival dance hall song, like that's like they they have a weird tradition. Are you talking about like doing the cockroach style or? Yeah, yeah, and <laughs> Tiny City Made of Ashes yeah. in particular. Yeah, love to. I don't know. That's one of their genres. It's a good genre. I'm I'm here for it. <laughs> um, but yeah, so they. I don't know. It's interesting to think about too, because like, like grunge was happening in Seattle at the same time, but it's almost like like uh, you know we talked about Pearl Jam in the previous episode. It feels like that stuff existed on almost an alternate timeline to the indie to like, uh, you know, Olympia K record stuff for me. It feels like so separate in spite of the fact that they're all in the same region of the country. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I I don't know. It it just been an interesting to think about for this podcast, how important, especially like Olympia and Seattle have been. And I guess it's just because the Pacific Northwest is so like geographically isolated that it formed its own kind of ecosystem. Yeah. And it's full of Um, fairly liberal, like college areas that at one point were affordable to live in, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I guess that's part of how music scenes happen. If, 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 if there's a city where somebody can only work like 20 hours a week and afford like a shitty apartment and music equipment, then that's where music will happen. Olympia is still not that expensive from what I understand. Thank goodness. But, um, but yeah, I knew a lot of people moving up to Bellingham, which I don't, I don't know what is up in Bellingham, but you know, when I lived in Portland, um, so I have some experience with the Pacific Northwest. Um, but yeah, I, uh, eventually they, you know, started recording um, in Olympia, their first album they recorded at a studio that is no longer uh, existing um, moon music in Olympia. Uh, this is a long drive for someone with nothing to think about. Is that that's what it's yep. called, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's basically part one of the, of Lonesome Crowded West. They're very similar to each other. It's just not quite as developed. I don't know. What what are you all feelings on that album? I, I really like that album, but it definitely feels like one a bit more of a piece with building nothing out of something because you know a lot of those B sides are from that era. But, but also them experimenting with the ideas that would come like be more fleshed out and come full circle on Lonesome Crowded West. You know, it's, it's a much more sprawling album. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that album quite a bit. Um, I think it's definitely like overlong by, you know, I don't know, 20 minutes or so. Um, there, so there's long. some, there's some skippable stuff on there and some songs that kind of overstay, but I, I think if I remember correctly, I, I can't remember if it's uh, Johnson or, or Eck who mentions it, but they're like, you know, listening to some of those like early demos and and songs from Modest Mouse. But they're like, then I heard Drama Main and that was like the one that, you know, like 
really sold me on them as like, oh, these guys are special. And I think a lot of people have that same experience. You know, it opens the album and it is a really, really incredibly powerful song. Yeah, honestly, the whole like the first three tracks of that album are one of the best they've ever done. Like Dramamine Breakthrough and uh, Custom Concern is just like a really, really killer opening. Yeah. Yeah, I like Tundra Desert. Um, that's the <laughs> that's the the weird dance hall track on that album. Um, but I guess that's later in the album. But yeah, it is kind of a little too long. It's still, I mean, but it has it has so many of the things. It has some other all time classics. Like it has drama. I mean, it has talking shit about a pretty sunset. Um, yeah, it's it's really good. Uh, it's just you know comparing like a really good album to a masterpiece of an album, right? Yeah. And they released a ton of stuff around this period. They were super productive um, and they were all very young. I think like I don't know, Jeremiah Green might have been just getting out of high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and already, apparently, Isaac Brock had, you know, he like apparently briefly lived on the East Coast and like drove back and forth from the East Coast to the West Coast, which kind of makes sense given some, some of the... Uh, you know, subject material of both of these uh, albums and the name. This is a long drive for someone with nothing to think about. Right. Um, but uh, that album was produced by Steve Wald, um, who is the guy who owned the studio. Um, and then they also released a um, they released a seven inch on Sub Pop Records. Um, so they released something on Sub Pop. They released, I think, their first album which kind of got folded into Sad Seppy Sucker, was released on, it's called Blue Cadet 3, Do You Connect? On on K, yeah. Um, Was released on K Records, yeah. And and then uh, they connected uh, to Up Records, which was another record, indie record label in uh, Seattle, um, and put out, this is a long drive for someone with nothing to think about, and the next album... Uh, the Lonesome Crowded West uh, came out the next year again, recorded the same studio in Olympia this time by Calvin Johnson. And then they had, um, you know, Phil Eck uh, come in and, you know, redo a few of the songs. So before we get into the album, I kind of wanted to talk about just like, we talked a little bit about indie album and, you know, your, your podcast, Aaron, you, you talk about political, you know, the political implications of uh, cinema of the 90s, you know, the the classic end of history. Um, but I, I kind of wanted to talk about that aspect of it just a little bit and, and kind of what you perceived or how you sort of contextualize that the album in that way, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. I guess it's kind of a hard, a hard uh, uh, topic to like just... start from you know scratch but yeah i I think just the general like composition of of indie music of that time um the 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 working class image the the cosmic stuff kind of comes as a result of reacting against grunge and like the alternative movement uh basically you know failing i don't know failing is the right word but just basically becoming absorbed into uh, the mainstream and then kind of just sputtering out. Um, but that's how I think of it anyway. I don't know. What, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, I think, and we kind of talked about this a little bit, you know, off mic before we started the recording, but I think that when we're talking about movies of the 1990s, we often on our show talk about 
1997 kind of as this inflection point where there's an evolution from just this sort of individuated kind of resistance and countercultural kind of movement into something that's calcifying into like a a whole, almost like a theoretical kind of like the the shape and, and texture of reality is a falsehood that this narrative that we've been sold is is completely riddled with just no matter which direction you go here it's just sort of different consumer distinctions that ident- help identify you based on how you live under neoliberalism and by like 97 and definitely into like 98 99 especially with you know something pivotal like the matrix you finally get you know these statements that are just like your reality isn't isn't real your reality is a falsehood. It's constructed. It's designed to keep you a prisoner, like in yourself. And so, for like you know, ninety-seven and and things like Lonesome Crowded West, I see kind of a in in a response to that. I see kind of a, a similarity in that regard. One of the interesting things that I do note about music at the time and specifically like indie rock from like the the mid 90s is that while there was this kind of like interesting backbone to a lot of those stories in popular mainstream cinema uh they had this kind of reactionary and very fearful sort of approach and viewpoint of the working class i think of two movies specifically from 1997 actually one of them being david fincher's the game and Jonathan Mostow's breakdown that both have this like very paranoid, very terrified kind of look at all of the people who keep infrastructure and the day-to-day existence of everybody else afloat and kind of running. And like what happens if those people suddenly got wise and like conscious of the fact that they're the cogs of the machine and turned on us? Like what if they just like revolted against the wealthy um all populism is bad sort of <laughs> yeah right. take um and so it's interesting to see like indie music as kind of uh although this is a, also what around 97 is when you get like and it's not mainstream but it's when you get stuff like gummo yes definitely yeah so there's you know there's a, a little bit of everything i think but like in in indie rock specifically because it's sort of a a more kind of diy more kind of underground movement within music I do like that there's a lot of expressions of this kind of um, this idea of like the neoliberal hellscape that we've designed and sort of its ephemerality. You know, like if we're if we're talking specifically about the stuff that Isaac Brock is talking about on this album, um, he was anxious about shopping malls, you know, specifically just like these kind of like totems to mass consumerism. And sort of a, the emptiness behind those things. And yeah, I, I just think that, you know, stuff like this, uh, we've already mentioned it a couple of times, but Built to Spill is perfect from now on. Um, kind of has like an interesting, almost sort of like sci-fi texture to a lot of it. A more kind of like metaphysical thing about like, you know, uh, more kind of pedestrian reality. Um, and that's like maybe my favorite record of the 90s, actually. But um yeah, it, I don't. I know that if I'm kind of making sense, it is a hard thing to kind of like generate a a kind of cohesive no, and totalizing I, philosophy around. But that's definitely some of what's happening here that I find interesting. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. Um, this album it does make 
you know, like uh, when we think about like, I don't know, so much of 2000s indie, for example, is very apolitical. Um, and even a lot of like all 90s alternative stuff, if it's political, it's political in its expression of uh, <laughs> incoherent impotence. Yeah. Or, or like, um, I just think of charity singles a lot. I think of like Runaway Train. <laughs> you know yeah that's political 90s music to me unless you're t- talking about hip-hop which is a you know not a, another thing but yeah yeah but this th- there is a political element component to this it's not like i don't know i mean even in the documentary i know max hates bob dylan mm-hmm. uh which uh oh sorry <laughs> yeah I, I i like bob dylan i like bob dylan i just want to say but um he does say in the documentary, he's like, I've been listening to Bob Dylan and biting his style pretty good without meaning to. <laughs> Sorry, I'm imitating his voice. Um, um, but yeah, I, I think there there is some some influence there, and, and it's not like uh, out of step at all to talk about that in the context of, you know, this album or Modest Mouse in general. Yeah, I mean, in a lot of ways, you know, even going back to like the uh, the the kind of working class poeticism that in and of itself is very is is communicating that is communicating this political message of like we are here too, um, you know, in the face of being swallowed up uh, by this sort of hom- homogeneity of, of of capitalism. Yeah, I don't know. It just. They're also kids who have probably never read like Marx or anything. So it's not like any of this is like, they're not like trying to, <laughs> I don't think they're trying to, 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 to make a, a definitive statement, but I think in context, like there is, you know, the, the, the anger at being mall fucked, I think is a deeply understandable political statement <laughs> of the era. For sure. Absolutely. And I think one thing that's interesting about this era of like music and, and some like film as well is that, you know, that kind of like white working class resentment uh, still has kind of a a clarity and like a political backbone to it that isn't defined by like weird, you know, like culture war totems mm-hmm. yet. Um, and, but like the ability to or rather inability to like actually understand the materialist realities of what's going on and like why those communities are getting mall fucked and why industry collapses and why like all of this you know all all of these sort of vestiges of capitalism like come in and uh pave over the place and then just slowly die uh leads to the political reality of like the late 2010s and and 2020s now you know like that oh go ahead sorry no i was just gonna say you know like that that working class resentment uh is like a thing that still had a texture to it and, and had like kind of a promise of like, Oh, like the, the feelings you're having are, are valid here. There's something actually going on, you know, but uh, it, it hadn't yet turned into, uh, I don't know. It, it hadn't turned into what it is now yet. And so like it, you can kind of draw a through line, but I also, I, I'm not trying to say, you know, like, Oh, Isaac Brock, like invented Trumpism or anything. Like that, <laughs> but. <laughs> no, but it, I think it says something that, you know, this guy writing about his immediate situation in Issaquah in 1997 could speak to, you know, Liz in rural Ohio or me in rural Texas or, you know, it to, in the in the odds, like the, the idea that these concerns and that this like, you know, he's a pretty specific guy. It's not like he's trying to necessarily be universal uh, yet. Um, 
but the 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 things that he is speaking about in his life were the core of that is so widespread in like rural working class communities that there is a unifying again the the beauty of this thing both personally and politically to me is feeling seen you know um the the thing about being in like a working class community especially in the early aughts is it was even easier to be brushed off as a as a as a uh you know unified right-wing force or something like um and it felt that way sometimes you know you're really isolated the media is weird and 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 you know you it's easy to feel lonely yeah i don't want to steal uh working class valor i i grew up uh, middle class but uh, <laughs> i mean as as an adult i'm definitely working class yeah you got <laughs> um, there <laughs> uh, but um but yeah, no, I, I I think what's interesting in the documentary, I think Dan Gallucci mentions like being kind of surprised how many people could relate to the, the this album and the songs on it. I mean, I'm not surprised, but I guess if you're close to it, it makes sense. I think it's one of the things that I think about too with like, uh, I remember I, I read the book, uh, the 33 and a third book on Neutral Milk Hotel mm-hmm. uh, and uh, In the Airplane Over the Sea, which of course another big 90s album. And people around, you know, Jeff Mangum and that whole Elephant Six scene kind of talk about almost being pretty uncomfortable, like in a, in a, 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 about like the intensity of the way that he performed and some of the things that were being expressed because they weren't like necessarily things that came out in other parts of their life or whatever so they're like where is this coming from so i think there's that aspect of the way that uh they react in the modest mouse documentary where it's like wow like all this stuff is coming out of isaac you know where is this coming from you know um which i think is is really fascinating but it it makes it kind of like uh i I imagine really hard to talk about for anybody who's like close to that stuff Um, it's almost easier to analyze i'm sure and they talk about in the thing that like I, you know, they don't talk about it in the band. Isaac doesn't talk about it, you know, what the lyrics are about. Um, I, I, you know, I don't think you need to. I think it's all, all there on the page. I do want to be somewhat considerate of time that we've been going for an hour and have not started yes. this, talking about this very long album. <laughs> okay, let's start. Uh, so we're, we're coming out, as they say in the documentary, come out with guns blazing, with uh, teeth like God's shoe shine. the top of the ocean, yeah, to the bottom is kind of not yeah, but I can climb the fucking I can't you know that I can't wear, from the top of the ocean, yeah, AKA the Orange Julius song, apparently. <laughs> Which sucks, because Teeth Like God's Shoe Sign is such a good song title. Yeah, this thing is nuts. The the opening riff is so like angular and atonal that it, it feels like it doesn't have a tonal center, even though it does. Um, but it feels like Yeah, it feels crazy. <laughs> it's like caterwauling. Yeah, well, uh, one thing that Isaac Brock does a lot 
just constantly with his guitar playing. There's a few things that he does. One of them is like he bends the string a lot. Well, he specifically uh, he specifically whammy bars harmonics a lot. So a harmonic yes. is yes. A harmonic is when you like rest your finger out a certain space on a on a string and it makes this very high chime. And you can't bend those usually, but a whammy bar lets you bend that because it just it changes the shape of the string. Um, and he. Until like brand new stole it way way later. That was like his thing. You even like mm-hmm. at the at the yeah. end of this song, he does a similar whammy bar harmonic pattern to what drama means based around. Like it's it is a it that was it yeah, is to him very identifiable. It is as identifiable as him yelling "Goddamn." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and his um his riffs are all kind of have a similar inflection. Like a lot of them are like minor key. Mm-hmm. They're they're actually pretty easy to play. Like I remember picking up and playing the riff from Doing the Cockroach or like, you know, lives from Moon Ant- Moon in Antarctica pretty easily. So um it's more like the intensity in which he plays it. Yeah. Uh they say it in the doc, but it's something that is it bears repeating. He's a very rhythmic rhythm guitarist. Like he's a lot of like what makes his riffs work is, is less about complexity and more about the the rhythms he's ringing out of it yeah i mean it's a very rhythmic band in general i would say yeah it's it's his style is either like yeah really sharp almost like gang of four or talking heads uh rhythmic slashing or extremely languid long guitar solos (laughs) they actually make me think a little bit of like the minutemen in terms of how much they create like a whole space with just three minutemen is a really instrument good Mm -hmm. reference point for sure yeah minutemen the better gang of four (laughs) (laughs) uh but yeah the lyrics uh from the top of the ocean yeah from the bottom of the sky goddamn well i get claustrophobic i can you know that i can well from the top of the ocean etc um and yeah there's some interesting like i like uh you'll burn me an effigy and i'll burn you an effigy uh talks about some cowboy stuff a rattlesnake up in buffalo montana he bit the leg of the old sheriff that boy boy fell down on his hair lip uh but he's screaming it at the top of his lungs he's going nuts uh so yeah the 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 song comes out with you know guns a blazing top volume and then of course there's a pretty section which this album so many songs with like multiple different sections, multiple different parts. And I mean, that goes back to this is a long drive too, but, but it's more developed here. It, it's a lot tighter here, ironically for a very long song, but like the shifts are like really abrupt there. there it's, this is maybe their most pixie song on the album and that it's very, it's extremely loud, quiet, loud, quiet, loud. Um, it's just that the quiet parts also have a different melody and texture from the loud parts. Yeah. And, for a band that has so much, you know, intensity and dancey stuff rhythmically, uh, they've always been good at, at, you know, pausing and doing the pretty stuff and being more contemplative. Like that's, I think that is why, like this era of Modest Mouse, which I include Moon and in Antarctica in, to be honest, um, I really love that album. A lot of people consider this album to be the peak, but um, regardless, uh they're really good at sort of, you know, like setting a bunch of different moods and, and kind of contrasting and creating this kind of almost epic scope, which is just amazing to think about an album that was recorded. I mean, 
like the thing with K Records and Olympia in general is like a lot of bands recorded there and like a lot of them were just random DIY or, you know, like not trying to have a career in the way that Modest Mouse was. Although, I mean, this is also like Dub Narcotic is also where like the microphones happened. Yeah. Yeah. This was done at Moon Music, which was a different studio, but you know, same, same, uh, community. Um, but yeah, like, uh, it's just like, if, you know, as a kid, when I'm listening to this, I'm like, oh, of course it's a masterpiece, you know, because that's the way it's framed by, uh, music publications. And so it's not, I don't think of anything to put it in the same category as, you know, okay computer or whatever else, you Mm know, but as an adult, you're like, wow, these are high, you know, these are people who are like in their early twenties who are recording at just some random studio in Olympia who are doing all of this themselves. And like, I mean, there's like some overdubs and stuff, but it's, and, and, it, but and it's a nice enough sounding album, but apparently it's not a like lot anything. of it was live, which is wild to me. Like you have yeah. to be so tight to pull this off live. Yeah. And like, even I, I just, I can't even like bands like this ha- making something that is of such an epic scope where it's just basically the three of them playing and they create so much of it themselves. It's like really impressive. Like I, I can't think of a comparison point. Like punk music didn't do this. You I know? mean, the only comparison point would be like, you know, Husker do Zen arcade or like double nickels on the dime. Mm-hmm. But even that's like a lot of fast songs. Yeah, it a does, lot of it doesn't like, have the, the, the range that this album does for sure. The range within like one song, you know. Well, and and, and Teeth like God Shoeshine is a, I, I wouldn't call it an anomaly. It's one of maybe three songs that does this on the album, but yeah, um, it is does have like, it's funny looking at the the genius which has is like three different sections called the bridge, <laughs> um, which is not usually how you make a song. <laughs> yeah. Well, then we have the oh, uh, if you could compact your conscience, which has the the very nice like he sings high up. I don't know. It's very catchy. It, it, it gets at uh, something that comes might. back later. But for the political angle of this, like there is a a very not just anti like mall, but kind of anti consumerism in general. We'll get there on bankrupt on selling too. Um, but yeah, this is the idea of like packaging people. Yeah, and and this kind of breaks. It goes from like the you know lyrically also it goes from like him talking about like more intense stuff to him be saying oh and the television's on go to the grocery store buy some new friends and find out the beginning the end and the best of it well do you need a lot of what you got to survive yeah you know, actually there is a there's an image somebody posted yesterday on Twitter that I saw being shared where it's like someone's like I sure love walking from my subdivision for two hours to the Walmart and they just posted like the most, you know, flat fucking suburban subdivision. And like the idea that they have to like walk two hours, to the grocery store to go to the, like in, you know, places that are not designed for walk. I, I don't know. It just like, that's, that's what I think about so much. Like where I grew up in terms of like, you can't walk anywhere. The idea mm-hmm. of like that you had to walk somewhere was like, there's something horribly wrong. If you see somebody walking by you, the side of the yeah, street, off, you offer to pick them up. Cause there's no way they're getting where they're going. Um, yeah. One of the, I think some of the, to me, like Isaac Brock has a couple of modes and one of them is like really like grandiose, you know, cosmic, you know, I just took shrooms and I stared at the sky kind of musing. 
Um, and the other one is getting really, really tight on the details. Um, and I, I think getting really tight on the details is some of my favorite stuff he does. So, so yeah, just the television's on, you know, let's go to the orange Julius. There's these, these small, the classic line, which they talk about in the documentary, they talk about orange Julius. I've never had an orange Julius before. No, I got replaced by the Jamba juices of the world. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've seen the orange Juliuses, but they always like the smell that emanates from them. And I think they talk about it a little bit in the documentary too, just that it's like a really disgusting, like frothy, like dreamsicle or something like that. Yeah. yeah Phil, Phil calls it a crappy creamsicle. Yeah. And like, that's what you smell. It's just like weird kind of like, it, it, I mean, it smells like orange Kool-Aid powder with like a hint of like vanilla in the air. And it's just, it's kind of sickly. I remember those from like it's mall food horrid. courts. Yeah. yeah. Inferior to Dippin' Dots, frankly. Oh, very oh. much so. Oh, uh, Dippin' Dots have been the future of ice cream for the last four That's years. Right. Nobody's caught up. Um, the line that I think about so much is the malls are soon to be ghost yep. towns. Well, so long farewell. Cause like at the time, all these malls were being built up, but now they are. the the number one thing we associate with malls is fucking ghost he, towns. He's like those dead mall series, YouTube yeah. videos. He fucking called it. <laughs> it's there's these like, I don't know if you've ever watched like the dead mall series on YouTube. It's, oh. it's kind of a, a weird I don't know. It puts you in a very strange state of mind watching a lot of those videos. I, I kind of love it. Well, you know, it's what you experience if you go to any open mall today. Like, nobody's there. Um, yeah, it's so it's, weird. It's very haunted. But he called it, and in a way, like, the mall as we knew it in, like, the 80s and early 90s was already um, starting to die culturally, just not, you know businessmen are like 10 years behind culture um mm -hmm. so yeah they kept getting built up even though like i don't you know it wasn't as big of a thing it's so weird yeah uh, the mall that i always went to uh which was city center mall in columbus i think closed in like 2010 or something uh, and i think there was like a murder there like right before that i don't know it just like it was not a place that people were going on the regular for like the last 10 years or something. And it's like in downtown Columbus too. It's not like, you know, it was actually a nicer mall. So I don't know. It's, uh, it's so weird. Cause that is such a crucial part of anybody who grew up in the eighties the and nineties uh, malls were definitely a, a, a thing. And they, I mean, they, they somewhat exist. I mean, like there's a place that I go to with fucking, um, that I mentioned before in, in Brooklyn that has like a, you know, Alamo draft right. house and a target or well, whatever. You, it's but, one of those um, like rare places, you know, when you're a kid, you don't have anywhere to go. That's not your parents' house, except for like the mall, you know, you need a place to loiter. And, you know, the thing about, um, I think, yeah, rural, rural areas is like, and we'll get there with convenient parking is we didn't have a mall. We had the parking lot of the Walmart, you know, we're like, you could hang out in your car and nobody would fuck around with you. Oh my God. That is where everyone hung out. Like where I grew up is fucking the Walmart parking lot. I think I lost my virginity in a Walmart parking. Like it, it was wow. like everything happened there. <laughs> they like, uh, they go to Walmart at like 2 AM and just wander around the aisles. That was like the idea of fun, I guess. You gotta, you gotta do something, man. You know, yeah. there's very little to do. 
Um, but yeah, the bridge is the, the, the things high up, take them all for the long ride and you'll go around town. No one wants to be uptight anymore. You should be ashamed to be so proud of what you've done, but no one, not now, not ever, or anyone, the way he says, like, he says a lot of things like that, where it's like kind of tongue twisters or like kind of goofy puns or things like that. You know, he's very, so, you know, he, he, he hits syllables really hard. He wants to, there's a cadence he wants to hit regardless of whether the, the lyrics actually fit it. Um, and he really, you know, you get a lot of these ad libs. I, I, I feel like there's a Pitchfork review that says like um, Isaac Brock uses "goddamn" the way James Brown says "yeah." You know, <laughs> you really dig into it as this like um, accentuator of whatever you just said. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I, I guess it's. I mean, Teeth Lakes God, Sh- God Shoeshine, easily one of the best songs in this album, but it really encapsulates everything that you'll hear for the rest of the album, but it also encapsulates like this era of modest mouse, which is what so many people come back to. It's just, it's amazing the degree to which they are able to like go high energy and go slow and pretty and contemplative so quickly and effectively. And each of them comes off really well. And, you know, from what, and, and I'm probably going to say this as we move on the, the rest of the album, like, um, there are songs where I'm just kind of like, uh, this isn't really going anywhere uh, on this album that made me like hesitant to like, you know, I don't know, appraise it as highly as I might have before. But like, the thing I will say is there's just something about it. It's just, there is something about Isaac Brock's lyrics is like, you feel like he's he's with you, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you feel like there's there's like a warm heartedness to it that even when he's talking about, kind of depressing stuff you you're he always has like a cosmic angle on it and that's like pretty fucking rare actually yeah it's a very human core to what is often like abrasive extensive jamming yeah i don't know because i like we have so much music uh i sorry to be mean to interpol again <laughs> but no go off please uh <laughs> It's fine. I was yeah, I was mean. I was, I was mean to all, all your favorite bands. No, you're mean to the Shins mostly. That's true. Um, <laughs> and you will you will be mean to Sufjan Stevens. <laughs> I will be but... so mean. I already started that. It's just like a fucking hell. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the thing I will say is like uh, with like I don't know. So many of those like Interpol songs are just kind of like uh, just. You know, it's just it's it's like a classic post-punk thing, really, or a, a lesser version of that, I would say. But like just kind of wallowing in kind of a, a certain kind of darkness. And the thing that I liked so much about this era of indie with like Modest Mouse and, you know, in the airplane over the sea, Olivia Trummer Control, Flaming Lips, is that there's this darkness, but then there's this huge amount of sincerity, like you're trying to extract meaning and cosmic importance and significance out of these things and that's what i really loved about that era and like missed a lot after that deeply empathetic writing which i think is where i think a lot of the warmth comes from for me with isaac brock is like you know a lot of these are character songs a lot of these are him you know empathizing with a person who like is be is you know would not be seen as a person (laughs) by 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 a lot of society and and it's very like um oh what's the word i'm looking for he's always trying to find the beauty in something even if it's not a a a positive one 
it's it's, it's all yeah. like he doesn't wallow i mean this is this is the 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 album that has a i'm trying to drink away the part of the day that i cannot sleep away um but that's mixed in with this wider scope and this this sort of empathetic uh approach to people <laughs> mm-hmm um, Aaron, do you have anything to add before we move on to the next song? I do not think so. I think we've covered uh, Teeth Like God's Shoeshine uh, in its entirety. Definitive <laughs> words on on this track. Don't even have to hear the song exactly. anymore. You can just listen to this, this <laughs> conversation. Okay. Next we have Heart Cook's Brain. And uh, the, the beginning uh, of... So we have a few interesting things here. We got record scratching. <laughs> Which shows like the 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 hip hop <laughs> influence, and then we have Isaac Brock like singing from. Apparently, they recorded him in the bathroom of the studio. He says, "Slow walk from landmines. It's a coal mine. It's a bad thought, but you can't really hear it because he's like kind of singing it from the back." I don't, I don't know. An interesting effect, anyway. Um, but yes, this the song mainly it kind of repeats. The main thing is, is the imagery of the, the my brain's the burger and my heart's the coal. And then also the line, uh, my brain's the cliff and my the heart's buffalo. the bitter buffalo. <laughs> my heart's the bitter buffalo. I'm on my way to God, don't know. My brain's the burger and my heart's the coal. But it's it's one of those things, you know, uh, Isaac Brock will often hit upon a form that he likes and just stay on it. And most most of those forms are what if I say two things that mean the opposite of each other together right um Mm -hmm. but here you know he said on like what if i just keep using the same you know keep talking about what my heart is to my brain in several different metaphors (laughs) um i kind of love it i kind of love when he goes on a poetic jag because he does have a way with imagery yeah i think this is one of the the many songs where it's like you could kind of you kind of get bored if it were placed at a different place in the album, but because it's right after Teeth Like God's Shoeshine, which had so many parts, it's like you kind of want a groove there. Um, So it, it works. And you got the, the kind of windy, it's just Isaac going, you know, like it, like high up guitar riff. Yep. It's just like very, um, you know, uh, it's kind of a groove. It's jammy. Um, Modest Mouse are the only jam band I like. You know, they're they're just they have the the chord progression nailed down, and so they're just gonna noodle over it. Yeah, and we're talking. He's talking about his God, his heart, his brain. He's talking about cosmic things again. I don't know. That's kind of the. I don't know. It it just like. I think I think that's the the interesting thing we think about this band being like three people. His lyrics fill in so much of the space. Mm-hmm. They kind of create the cosmic. Well, his voice feeling. too is huge. Like, yeah, um, he has such a great range, and it's very unique. I, I don't know anybody else who really sounds like Isaac Brock. It's true. I I don't I can't think of another person who sounds like Isaac Brock as a vocalist. Um, 
So a lot of interesting images there. Uh, not much else to say about this track, uh, but it's a good second track. Uh, next, uh, a chain reaction happens in a parking lot. <laughs> I, I, I like get that line in my head constantly. Soon the chain reaction started in the parking lot. I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's convenient. Just it speaks to uh, to uh, again as we've been saying a universal experience. <laughs> the fact that the, this like thing of like cosmic tension, profound significance happens in these very kind of mundane places, I think is classic. Modest Mouse and like really this album does so well um yeah to bleed out onto the big streets bleed out onto the highways and off to the cities and built built to store and sell these rocks well aren't you feeling real dirty sitting in the parking Mm -hmm. lot there's kind of like a i don't know like a a trucker sensibility i really like in this track i mean i'll say convenient parking might be like one of my favorite jams on the like first third of the album uh it's just it's quick and efficient and like a total banger and the way he like screams convenient parking and the the chorus is awesome to it that we're kind of talking about where like there's almost this sort of i don't know omniscience granted to kind of like the churn of capitalism where it's like this concrete is like never ending and it's like bleeding outward and almost like you know kind of like almost like parasitic entity that just will consume everything um and you're sitting in it right now and before long like that's going to be the shape of the country um yeah, it's like kind of bitter and bleak and really, really pissed off, and I love it. Yeah, there's a constant tension to this song, to the riff, to the bum 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 bum. It like always feels like it it's continually building to something, even as it continues as a groove. It almost has a not like a shepherd song quality, but it feels like inevitable and tumbling, like it never resolves really. So the 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 lyric soon a chain reaction happens and like all these it's like all these things are transforming. Um it's like you can imagine like, you know, it's like just this landscape shifting in this like very anime cosmic way, you know. <laughs> yeah, this is the Tetsuo in the parking lot, just his tendrils growing out and out and reaching the city. Yeah, he even mentions uh, off to the cities built to store these plastic rocks later, which I find interesting because it's like there's this kind of fakeness to everything that, you know, is revealed like the further he gets into the song. Um, but yeah, it also has that that Pixies loud, quiet, loud thing where the, you know, where the, the chorus is mostly just a few words of him saying convenient parking is way back, way back. Um, but, you know, it's the classic... You, you can never go wrong talking about how they paid paradise and put up a parking lot. So, <laughs> so true. Because it's it's a universally true sentiment. So indeed, uh, it's a good song. Uh, and the jam at the end is good too. Oh, it's so it, good. it kind of it kind of has a trucker's atlas type uh, jam, which we'll get to when we get to trucker's atlas. But um, the next song is Lounge Closing Time. So this is kind of a, a an interesting sequel to Lounge from the previous album. 
but a better kind of more intense version of it. Yeah. It's even got uh, Calvin Johnson's uh, wife on it, just like their older songs used to have. Oh, okay. That's who's singing. Okay. Mm -hmm. She did. uh, There's a lot of like uh, older interstate eight era songs that have a female voice voice on them. And that's all. uh, What's her name? Nicole Johnson. Oh, okay. Yeah. uh, Nicole Johnson. Yeah. She's on gray ice water. I remember Mm -hmm. Um, a few others, a few others on this album too. Yeah, it, it feel when I think of the up records era of Modest Mouse, I associate that with like her being being around. Uh, Although it is kind of weird for her to sing, "I've got a girlfriend now in the city." I, I don't know. It's okay for her to have a girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, no, it just like for her to sing that line of any of the lines is kind of funny, but uh, I don't know. Um, this is a this is another epic scope song for sure. Yeah, and this has the haunted dance hall thing at the beginning with the, you know, the syncopated riff. The... She was gone with a cinematographer. Never knew that he's really been out of her. She went down to the dancing ground and everybody was feeling fire. in high school because i liked songs that like you know made fun of people because i didn't like people (laughs) um Uh, or or like uh, you know like where like uh sad and untoward things were happening i guess uh where he's like you know cutting beneath the bullshit or whatever it's one of the more teenage sounding songs on the album which is i think is very charming to me you know you are so hot i'd like to steal your digits I love that line. It's so good. <laughs> it's so good. Um, it's like one of the, it's very rare to get a reminder that like, oh yeah, you're a kid. <laughs> um, and Isaac Brock's lyrics, but here we are. Yeah. Oh, yeah, especially with the I've got a girlfriend out of the city. I know I like she her. I think she is pretty. Well, that's like I'm sure some of that is like that kind of Calvin Johnson irony of 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 you know, I'm being very earnest in the 50s, <laughs> but uh, Yeah. But you know, I, it works. Well, I, I think it, it fits in actually with the, the song from Moon in Antarctica, Different City, you know, where he says, I'm going to move to the city with no friends or family. And it's it's kind of like the this quote unquote lifestyle thing, you know, like it's like, oh, I'm doing what you're supposed to do, you know, moving to the city. I'm like, you know, living this like urban lifestyle. Because like when I think about 2000s indie, I think it's so much about this like, you know, iPod uh commercial like urbanist like lifestyle i think about that and and that makes sense in the context of if you think about seattle having a boom both with like grunge music but also with tech i mean Mm -hmm. microsoft of course is in bellevue which is not that far away from issaquah um so i i think that's probably part of it um but yeah as a kid i always hear it as like i don't know i always heard it as like a, a you know like him kind of like pseudo ironically like bragging about this kind of stuff in a way where he's like kind of making fun of the type of person who talks like that, if that makes sense. Oh yeah, no, for sure. Um, but uh, yeah, this also has this slow song where he says it's closing time. It's closing time. You know, classic, uh, a lot of the lyrics of the slower sections kind of echo, you know, it's an inter- the, the, 
it also like bummer things happening musically. It directly echoes Heart Cook's Brain, which you may think it's too soon to do that. That was only two songs ago. Um, but it's been like 12 minutes <laughs> of actual time. Um, and also like on, on the record, it's way later in the album. Yeah. The vinyl's like track list is all, all borked up. So it, it might. Oh. Uh. Yeah. It, it's well, because you had to fit really long songs onto vinyl. Yeah. So you have a side that's just like all three of the shortest songs and then Trucker's Atlas. Why did they put it like almost at the end of the album? I, that so doesn't make weird. sense. Yeah, to I'm me. looking at the track list now. I see they put Baby Blue Sedan on there, which is kind of cool, but uh, which is great. It's a good. Song. It's a good song. Uh, but yeah, this is man. This is a bizarre sequencing. One of the things that I love so much about this album is how like kind of perfect the, uh, the sequencing is on it. I can't imagine mm-hmm. like lounge coming near the end of the, of this record. Yeah, the sequencing is kind of a wonder because it's like we talked about it was a long drive being too long. It is the same length as this album, more or less, um, but the sequencing is way worse. Um, And here the sequencing does a lot to kind of keep you going through this whole 74 minute album. There are very few albums of the the CD era that I think earn their length. And this is one of them. Yeah, there are a few tracks we'll get to, but... um... Uh, the the general like pace of the first four tracks like uh we have a few you know pit stops to sadness but generally it's like more upbeat and on in on a specific pace which you know if you're listening to this album when you're driving on a long road trip that's kind of what you want you absolutely. know absolutely <laughs> um so it's a perfectly album sequence a perfectly sequenced album for that um so yeah that's closing ta- time um jesus christ ne- jesus christ was an only mm-hmm. child so you know what this song reminds me of so much they're the album they did two albums after this good news for people who love that yeah <laughs> uh i don't know that album as well but it actually reminds me of when i win the lottery by camper oh Beethoven. yeah yeah well jesus christ was an only child who went down to the river and he drank and smiled and Uh, it sounds familiar. I don't know that I am. I, I could sing you the tune or, or anything about it. When I win the lottery. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's a, you know, it's fiddle and it's, uh, a little country, but you know, so the guy who did good news who produced that album also produced key line pie that, uh, when I went the lotteries on, but, Oh, interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, that album, good news brings a lot of like banjo and folkiness into the modest mouse song sound. Um, in a way that could be seen as extremely surprising, except for this song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so this is a pretty simple song musically. I I, I just mentioned um, when I win the lottery because I know we were talking about Camber Van Beethoven and like the subject matter of that song. It like could be a modest mouse song. Oh, totally. You know, it's about like a working class guy, uh, and who's like kind of a ridiculous character. So yeah, this is um, it's mostly. It's like sort of sing rapping. <laughs> um, 
He says, Jesus Christ was an only child. He went down to the river and he drank and smiled. And his dad was oh so mad, should have ensured that the planet before it crashed, uh, that planet before it crashed. Uh, And then, and then you got, you know, you got the, you got the biblical imagery, but then you also got working real hard to make internet cash, working, work your fingers to the bone sitting on your ass. So again, prescient, prescient lyrics. Yeah, but I also feel like that is the Pacific Northwest in terms of a region because there's so much tech stuff, but then it's also like this tremendous, like like the landscape is massive. It's like raining all the time. The trees everywhere shrouding everything. Like logging is a big industry. So it's like, it, it's it's very easy to imagine how you get in that state of mind where there's this weird disconnect of these two things that are very both very present, but... um but very, you know, different seeming from each other. That's kind of encapsulates the Northwest to me. But um, especially like the region around Seattle and Portland. Uh, um, but yeah, you got a fiddle. Uh, and you also got like a, a weird, like, I don't know, like sp- he's talking into like a one of those little like speaker box things where it's going, bah, 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 you know what I mean? It's like, like telephone the, filtered. Know. It's not filtered. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um real am radio sound yeah uh i love that i love when he just barks <laughs> he says well i know now what i knew then yeah i know now what i knew then but i didn't know then what i know now call back to our previous pearl jam episode actually it's also very one, similar lyric one of my favorite isaac brock profundities which is a, a profundity that essentially says nothing <laughs> yeah um, it's like, oh yes, no, of course this is all true. Yeah, you would know things now that you didn't know then. Mm-hmm. Um, but it feels profound, I think maybe because of the way he he's repeating it. Yeah, this is an interesting thing at the end where they like kind of speed up playing and it kind of peters out. Uh, thankfully, this song, because this song is a little like, I don't know, it's a little one note, but it only goes on for like two and a half minutes, uh, which is good. Um, because it also like you know there's no drums in this one I think so, um, w- which is good at this point in the album but you don't want that for like mm-hmm. too long no. so, um, but yeah next we have doing the cockroach the song which uh which I was my first modest mouse song and also which Isaac Brock describes in the documentary as like a grubby human dance. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, we got the we got the good riff. The 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 most one of the most identifiable modest mouse riffs to me. The bum 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 bum. Yeah, very easy to play on guitar. Right. Um, I think he just hit. I think the chord is E minor even, which is like the easiest chord to play on guitar. It, it feels like somebody took like a post hard record and then keeps speeding it up and slowing it down. Yeah. So we got the we got the soft he this one starts out with the the kind of like before building up he says I was in heaven I was in hell believe in neither but fear them as well classic modest mouse mm-hmm. line mm-hmm. 
He talks about in the documentary about, you know, he said, even as he stopped believing in, you know, Christianity and God and all that stuff, he was still, you know, look oh, constantly looking over his shoulder, uh, which, you know, is what happens when you grow up in a very Christian environment like that. Um, but uh, this one's a doctor, this one's a lawyer, this one's a cash sheet, cash thief, taking your money back in the metro, ride on the Greyhound, drunk on the Amtrak, please shut up. Another writer, he was a talker talking about TV, please shut up. I So the few times that I took the Amtrak actually were in um, the Pacific Northwest. And yeah, uh, every once in a while you get someone who's just like talking about the most inane fucking things. Because that's what people take Amtrak to do, you know? <laughs> Talk? well it's like it's scenic you know especially like in that area of the country sure, like the, sure. the train ride is like i don't know it's like 12 i was taking it from the bay area to portland it's like 12 hours or something 16 hours maybe it's a long train ride very pretty but also like yeah people do it partly because they want to just rant you know have random conversations with other people yeah People trying to reenact before sunrise in the on the Amtrak. I don't need that in my life. My favorite part of this song is actually the um, the like one year, twenty years, forty years, fifty years down the road in your life, you'll look in the mirror and say, "My parents are still alive." Because it's a sentiment you get, you hear a lot. You know, you just become your parents. But like the the way it's framed there is feels like such a uniquely Isaac Brock way of of coming at it. Yeah, uh, I like uh, dogs eat their own shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's we're, true we're doing we're doing the cockroach yeah um but yeah and then it gets into the like you know the super hyped up uh it's it's almost like dance punk it does kind of sound like it's probably the closest they came to sounding like the you know the early 2000s dance punk music i think in this track it's a little bit more like uh unstable of a groove if that makes sense it's a little bit more like uh uh, it, it's it's not locked to a grid or anything. Like it, it's it's very fast and just kind of propelling itself. Yeah, uh, there's a little bit more perpetual motion in it than like some of that other dance punk stuff that feels pretty flat to me, to be honest. But <laughs> then you have like a, a breakdown where he's just like hitting the uh, like palm muting the guitar and hitting the harmonics. He says, "You're walking down the street. Your face, your lips, your hips, your eyes. They meet. You're not hungry though. You know." Just interesting. I don't know. He just goes so many places. It's like reading a little short story at some of these. Um, but yeah. Cockroach. Great song. Great song. Good jam. Uh, kills live. <laughs> yeah. Actually, this and the next two songs are like some of their most identifiable songs, and they're all right in a row. So Yeah, that, this is a really good like core. This is the, sort of the heart of that out al- of the album. Cowboy Dance may be one of my favorite Modest Mouse songs ever.
speaking of which, we have Track 7 Cowboy Dan. He's a major player in the Cowboys scene. He sure does. He's going to start a war. <laughs> um, but this is like my so many of my favorite lines. You know, like the, I got mine, but I want more. And God, if I have to die, you'll have to die. I didn't move to the city. The city moved to me, and I want out desperately. This is the most like Scarface, like Goodfellas guy song that Modest Mouse did. You know, people who are like, oh, yeah, the guy from Scarface is awesome. <laughs> you know, like. Yeah, but we, this is a guy I knew. This is, this is a guy I would see all the time, like the sort of like drunk, overly masculine, violent asshole. I'm just thinking yeah. of like a Twitter post where it's like, uh, you know, like if you identify with them, you miss the point. And it's like Joaquin Phoenix is the Joker <laughs> and then like, uh, you know, Tony Montana and then like Cowboy Dan next to him. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently Cowboy Dan in the documentary they talk about this uh, was named after a real person uh, named Cowboy Dan, who is nothing like the person in the song, uh, just a completely different person. But uh, he liked the name. Yeah. Cowboy Dan's a major player in this cowboy scene. He goes to the reservation, drinks and gets mean. He's going to start a war. He, uh, what was the line about the rifle? Oh, yeah. Uh, he, he, he goes to the desert, fires a rifle in the sky and says, God, if I have to die, you're going to have to die. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is just one of my favorite couplets in all of music. Like the image of that is so striking and is so... The thing about Cowboy Dan is that Cowboy Dan is a bastard and the song is still kind of empathetic or at the very least is showing him as a human being that is genuinely upset um, at like his own mortality and at the way like his world is disappearing around him. Yeah, it's it's a classic self-destructive drunk asshole. It is, but it's not it's not it's not like Steely Dan, right? It's not like look at no. look at this fucker. <laughs> it's it's you know, I mean, it's, yeah, it's human. this is. This is very minor key. This is one of the uh, tracks recorded by Phil Eck, and there's some more, some extra like reverb and stuff on it's it. It's very atmospheric, and and it's it's it is a song that's like builds up such a head of steam, and then has this gorgeous bridge. Um, yeah, and the contrast standing in the tall grass, thinking nothing. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of beautiful. Like it, it, it I, I think it's one of the more thematically appropriate song shifts on the album you know this just angry bitter man going into this very you know getting so upset about nothing and like just spiraling and then all of a sudden you get this like moment of clarity um yeah especially when he says uh every time time you think you're walking you're just moving the ground like the music kind of cuts out a little bit mm -hmm. that's every time you think you're talking you're just moving your mouth it's another yelling in the bathroom kind of sound um, yeah. When they, everything. Every time you think you're looking, you're just looking down. When they play this live, at least a couple times I've seen them, they really stretch out the instrumental portions that transition both into and out of this, and it, it there's an intensity to it. it. It's a very churning song. Like it starts kind of slow, and thumpy, um, but it just it it builds and it builds and it builds in a really effective way. Yeah, especially especially when he's like, well, yeah, he just well. screams. <laughs> that was really good. That's a good Isaac Brock. Thank you. I've I've been practicing my whole life. Uh, uh, um, yeah, I, I guess the reason I associate this with a particular time, I remember hearing this song. I lived in Berkeley, California, and I remember like, 
the people like above were like you know Berkeley students, and it was it's it felt it felt kind of fratty like the from and and they were playing Cowboy Dan really really loud, and that they weren't listening to the album, they were just playing Cowboy Dan. <laughs> so it's like the song for those types of people. <laughs> I don't know. It is one of their most like known and listened to songs. It's, I think. it's just effective. I think there are some Modest Mouse songs that gesture at mood building in profundity but don't really get there but this song gets all of it like it just all hits yeah there's also a uh this is one of the few where the calvin johnson version you can find uh, it's a little bit different um uh, but there's more uh like violin on it or fiddle or you know i guess they're the same thing um but it actually, like, that version actually makes me think a little bit of, like, um, Stars Are Projectors or some of their stuff on Moon in Antarctica mm-hmm. in terms of, like, this massive canyon-esque, you know, giant amount of space being conjured by these instruments, um, and especially, like, a fiddle. Yeah. Good song. So good. Um, yeah. I, I just like the idea that there's a, a cowboy scene. There, there is. Oh, though. there is like, a cowboy it, scene. There, there's a cowboy okay. scene. Like it's not, it's not rare. <laughs> uh, you know, um, a lot. I, I just like it being referred to as like something. You know, it's like it's the cowboy version of going to like the Star Trek convention, or you know. But it, yeah, it's all it's it's the rodeo guys. You know, it's the people who go to the country club and drink and fight. Yep. Like it's it's a real ass thing. <laughs> I don't know if either of you two are fans of uh, Clint Eastwood in any way whatsoever, but he has a uh, 1980 film called Bronco Billy. Have either of you seen that, or are you familiar? I have not. No, uh, but I'm 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 interested. I'm curious. It is, it's like one of my probably like top three or top five like Clint Eastwood directed features. Actually, it's one that I think is really undersung and like one of his masterpieces where he is uh, like a sharpshooter in a traveling rodeo called uh, his name is Bronco Billy McCoy, and it is kind of dealing with this. Like he's like a like very like desperately kind of lost modern American male clinging on to this concept of the old West as a way of like finding some sense of like masculine value. And I think about Bronco Billy whenever I listen to Cowboy Dan. Yeah, that sounds uh, awesome and related. I should check that out. It's very good. It's very funny too. It's like, it's like an outright comedy uh, for most of its runtime and uh, kind of an outlier in his career. What I th- what I find interesting about this album is that's in the same place as him talking about Orange Julius or you know making internet cash like all those things are kind of mashed together. These worlds are colliding in ways that don't want to collide with each other. You know. Yep. This is what um, it sounds like when worlds collide. Um, but yeah. Next we have Trailer Trash again, one of their most well-known songs, and this this I I have to imagine is like one of the most personal songs about isaac brock uh in his like teenhood childhood um from what i understand in the documentary uh he wrote it um along with dan gallucci i think was this one of the this is one of the dan gallucci yeah. songs so dan gallucci is a guy who was sort of in and out of the band of, and of motor city devils who are oh, a good I've band although them. they're not modest mouse yeah well not too many bands he was are. also in cold war kids um, for a little bit <laughs> 
Was it really? Yeah. Oh, wow. I think it was like later Cold War Kids too. So like uh, after like Robbers and Cowards, is that the name of that album? That was the only one I remember anyone really liking. Right. <laughs> but yeah, this is definitely a high school, you know, about your high school self song. And maybe he wrote it when he was still in high school for all I know. Um <laughs> I don't know, it's just a it's just a it's a sad uh but reflective song. He says eating snowflakes with plastic forks and a paper plate, of course, you think of everything. Short love with a long divorce. And a couple of kids, of course, they don't mean anything. I'm sure he's talking about his parents there because his mom was divorced from his dad. Um, he was raised mostly by his mom, I think. It's it's one of those songs where the lyrics just really, really hit, you know? Yeah. Live in trailers with no class. God damn, I hope I can pass. High school means nothing. Taking heartache with, no, with hard work. God damn, I am such a jerk. I can't do anything. Yeah. Again, love a goddamn. Um, love a goddamn from this guy. Um, if you see interviews with him, he still says it. He's like, wow, I sound like such a jerk say. He'll say something, it'll be like, wow, I sound like such a jerk say. Yeah. It's good to be so I don't know. He is the type of guy who would get drunk and sort of pick fights with people and then be like, wow, that was really stupid that I did that. Um, I, I also, I really love the guitar line and what Genius is calling the chorus, but the, the I shout that you're all fakes part. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this very like, um, icicle glistening kind of sound to it that that is really poignant. And this 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 song that is like deeply mature and reflective from again almost certainly he wrote this in high school right like it was it's an early yeah. early modest mouse song. Um, so it's just like, um, you know, to be saying like, it's been a long time, which agrees with this watch of mine <laughs> and like, God damn old soul. <laughs> yeah. gorgeous. And I know, and I know that I missed you and I'm sorry if I dissed you again, that. you're still a kid in the nineties. This... <laughs> I like in the documentary, he talks about, he said he couldn't even remember the specific instance he was talking about. Cause there were, there were just so many about who he wronged. Cause there's just so many wrongings. <laughs> Love it. I don't know. But that is like so many uh, uh, friendships that I've had that have fallen apart or like things that are just like misunderstandings and stuff. And you reflect and you just get sad. And I don't know, like the whole thing about everyone being fakes was like that was my entire I was like freaking Holden Caulfield in, in high school and college. Most of the time I thought everything was fake and I hated most people. Uh, so I can definitely relate mm-hmm. to that. Um but he also talks about in the documentary how he, you know, grew up in a trailer park and, you know, it wasn't as bad as he said, but, you know, um, I, I, it, I don't get a sense that it was great. <laughs> it's great or anything, you know, to deal with that kind of stuff, um, you know, I mean, it, growing up on the way, government cheese and all that kind sure, of stuff. Sure, but he says it, I mean, it, it, it's true. Like you're a kid, you just, you just do what you do, you know, you know, and you, you make do, <laughs> right? 
Uh, it's true, but it is also like, you know, it's it's difficult to like. <sighs> I mean, this is something that I you know read later that he said when they signed to a major label where he talked about how you know so many uh indie hipsters have trust funds and like he comes from a working class background and he was just trying to support his family and you know later interviews that i've read of him where he's like uh <laughs> one where he's like oh i only have thirty five hundred dollars in my bank account and he was talking about how they didn't make any money from touring Europe and things like that. It's just like uh, all, all things that people are thinking a lot more about now, like the unsustainability of touring and stuff, especially coming out of, you know, lockdown pandemic. But even before that, it's clear, like how unsustainable these things are. And it's it's clear how much he's like struggled with um, just like wanting to even like keep doing music i mean there are interviews that i've seen of him where he's just like uh he's like well i guess i have to keep doing this because it's the because it's working and this is the only other thing i have going on right. you know um it's one of the but, things that kind of felt yeah. depressing about the lonesome crowded west like i didn't go see it because it felt kind of like a depressing concept <laughs> um yeah well made even more depressing right by the fact that you know um, jeremiah green passed away uh hey max here cutting in to say that there is some kind of transition here. I think we maybe took a, a snack break, um, but that file is just gone. So uh, there was nothing in it, but that is why we you're going to hear a sudden shift from us talking about the, the sad death of Jeremiah Green to uh, Liz and Aaron talking shit about Japanese breakfast. Um, but yes, please enjoy uh, the podcast already in progress. So, Aaron, what is your opinion on Japanese breakfast that you mentioned? <laughs> uh, it's funny. I was, I like was, yeah, like kind of casually scrolling like through people's reactions to it. I actually think that Psychopomp is like a really, really great record. It's like a cool, like kind of uh, like washed out, not washed out the band, but just or like the artist, but like just kind of like washed out, kind of scuzzy, like almost like you know shoegazy indie kind of record that has some cool stuff in it i like records like that like i refer to those as like sandbox records because you know it's just like it's a lot of like grit that you kind of have to sift through and sometimes you're going to find shit and sometimes you're going to find something buried that's really cool um so i I really like that one i like to a lesser extent the follow-up to that one it kind of sounds like uh her trying to do like an uh like an atlas sound deer hunter kind of record um well there's the the one what what's the one with the fucking um persimmon on the cover um with her holding uh, the that's the persimmon. most recent one jubilee and i think that one is awful <laughs> yeah i listened to that and it i sort of feel like it's uh a worse version of why can't tori read <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like trying to do like there has been this huge, and I think it's finally starting to die out, but there's been this huge, like, affection for this particular type of, like, late 80s pop. I think, like, The Weeknd is probably the most, like, you know, popular, mm-hmm. well-known artist yeah. who does that. And it just, like, I'm just starting to get tired of yeah. it, like, honestly. Oh, yeah. And I I mean, that's the thing I think about a lot of these kind of, like arts art school like indie kids you know who are like musicians who were like you know classically trained from the point of like three years old and went to like Bryn Mawr or like Sarah Lawrence or 
you know, or something yeah. like that. I went. I went to Oberlin. So no, I guess that, I that's fair. I know. I know some Oberlin people, and um, oh god, what's the other one that I always forget the name of? Like uh, upstate New York, like women's school. Um, Vassar, Vassar. That's or the one. Yeah, Smith Vassar. Or... Um, okay. Because uh, like uh, I feel like Miss Mister, like uh, the uh, uh, went to Vassar. At least one half of that duo did. Um, but there's something about like all of those kids where they kind of make interesting sort of like DIY statements early on in their career that are a little bit rougher around the edges that have some like kind of charm to them. And as they kind of like calcify their sort of sound and what they've always sort of wanted to do, it kind of feels like in terms of like their level of success, they, they get like a clarity to their records that just feels really bad. Um, yeah, yeah, I I totally noticed the same thing with Mix Mitski because yes. I I thought I didn't like her music and then I listened back to one of her older albums and I really do actually like it, but it, it just that that song nobody or I, what is yeah what nobody is? yeah nobody knows or I I just didn't like it I thought it was kind of uh, but going back to like some of her earlier stuff I did like it so I I don't know yeah I think you're right about that what are we talking about Mitski uh. I asked uh, Aaron about Japanese breakfast and we were talking about that like uh, strain of like, I don't know what you call it, like indie songwriters. Indie chanteuses. Indie I like that. <laughs> but like, That's what I've been calling a, a spe- it. <laughs> yeah, the specific kind of like art school kid, like sort of vaguely mainstream adjacent. Yeah. Like, I guess I kind of put St. Vincent in For the sure. And And too. she's gotten like, categorically worse the longer that she's gone on to oh like i don't don't get me started like on i think Vincent. i think actor and strange mercy are pretty great actually you know and even that like first record actor is actor's awesome album. and it's kind of like noisy and and scuzzy and and fun and kind of baroque and weird i actually so i actually like mass seduction but her album that she released most recently, Daddy's Oh, Home. God. <laughs> yeah, it was, Awful. Yeah, it was really, bad. really bad. I, I, yeah, I haven't enjoyed St. Vincent in, in many, many it's years. It's how I kind of feel about, uh, um, could be just because she's like really in the mainstream and like big right now because of her record release last week, uh, Carolyn Polachek, where like oh, yeah. I really enjoy those first couple yeah. of like chairlift records. I think there's something kind yeah, of fun to them. So- something by chairlift. I, I'm friendly with, um, someone who directed one of their music videos for yeah. that album. Uh but um yeah, no that's a really good album. Even like the second like that that album Moth, I didn't really like that yeah, album. Yeah, no, much. neither did I. I I had the uh extreme displeasure of getting a chance to talk with Chairlift back in like 2012 after something came out. <laughs> I was at <laughs> I was at South by Southwest covering it for the college radio station that I worked at at the time. Um mm-hmm. and Patrick's fine. He was like kind of like quiet. He actually kind of reminds me a little bit of like Jeremiah Green a little bit where he just like kind of a few weird words, like a little bit like kind of insular, like, you know, a little, little dodgy. Um, yeah. That's classic indie. Yes, guy. totally. And Carolyn came out the gate. Like the first thing she said to me after like introducing herself was to just like talk insane amounts of shit on the band that was playing adjacent at a different like showcase and talk about how like awful and derivative they were and how they just wanted to sound like the pixies right before going into like this run of name drops that included Bethany from best coast and how they were the ones making like real music. Uh, Oh no. (laughs) 
And I was what just a, like, oh, this is this yeah. is going to be fun. Like, this is going to be a good time. It was not. It was like 30 minutes uh, of just like, uh, this real, is like, ugh. like I, I all of this makes a lot of sense to me. <laughs> yeah, this is like my my conversations with people from like the indie game world often go like that, where there are certain people who are just like, they won't say anything mean about each other in any sort of public setting at all but but then they're like you know secretly doing the most like extensive shit talking behind the scenes and like uh you know name dropping and stuff like i i don't know i don't talk to a lot of those people anymore though um but yeah anyway uh sorry let's get back to we can include however much of that you want if if any of that in, in the episode. i mean it's it's fine you can you can keep uh, and use or you can cut away anything i i'm an open book so i'm gonna be i'm gonna be cutting at least like three hours from this <laughs> <laughs> okay fair enough okay so the ne- the next song we have is out of gas which almost sounds identical the beginning to Heart yes Cook's i get brain. them confused like, whenever this song yeah, whenever this song starts, I expect him to start saying like "it's a walk" or whatever he says in uh, "slow walk from landmines." I like, I always like expect him to say that, but no, it is in fact a different song, even though it sounds identical. Out of gas, out of road. Out of car, I don't know how I'm gonna go And I had a drink the other day Opinions were like kittens, I was giving them away I had a drink the other day, I had a lot to say and I, I don't have that issue, I love Out of Gas so much uh, My first band in high school used to cover it Yeah <laughs> Oh um, well, this is yeah. This is a a, a song that like a an easily coverable modest mouse song. It's just a it's it's a guitar line and a chord progression that I just really really enjoy. Um, you know, it's 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 simple. The whole song is simple. There's it's almost like a uh a, a, an old folk song or a lullaby that way. It's got it's two modes that are the same chord progression all the way through. Um. But I love that chord progression and there's something about it in Long Distance Drunk that especially like Sequence This Way in the album and in a car ride like feel great to listen to. Mm. Like it just matches that. Especially like Out of Gas and, and Long Distance Drunk feel like being stuck in traffic to me. Like Oh, I can see that. Yeah, that makes sense. And they work great for that. Um, and if you have any you know, significant memories of that time. And these are the songs for you. Yeah. I think um, in the documentary, Isaac Brock mentions like buying this really nice van from like this old guy and then instantly having like tons and tons of problems with it. So uh, they just on these road trips where they're touring or, you know, whatever, like pretty constantly dealing with issues like that. But I, I love the the line where he says, I mean, this is quintessential Isaac Brock. He says, I had a drink the other day. Opinions were like kittens. I was giving them away. <laughs> I had a drink the other day. I had a lot to say. And then he says, you will come down soon too. You will come down too soon. I, I don't know what that means, but it sounds like it means something. And that's all that matters. That's all, that's all that matters. I mean, it, it's something like funny and ominous for like a guy to get drunk and talk shit. And the way he talks shit is like your downfall is coming. <laughs> what a fun guy (laughs) i i just love the line opinions were like kittens i'm i was giving them away (laughs) 
it's you know I don't relatable know. yeah I, I like yeah that's the thing like I'm not as talkative as Isaac Brock I can be pretty introverted but then like I can also be extremely talkative as anyone who listens to this podcast probably knows if you look at my audio it's like if you look at the podcast it's like 75 percent my audio <laughs> I, I wouldn't have it any other way you're 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 lovely to listen to uh, but that is also just how I talk to people. Like I constantly talk. It has been a thing. I don't know. Maybe it's growing up like being very having difficulty talking to well, people. If, now I'm like overcompensating. If you're, yeah, if you're introverted most of the time, you gotta really make the most of the times when you aren't. Yeah, and I and I do also shit talk a lot. Yeah. I'm trying to do that less, but I <laughs> I do it like. Uh, in circumstances where maybe it's not always the best thing to do. I don't know. I kind of like contrarian Liz, you know, just, just uh shit talking yeah. away. There, there's a, there's a joy to that. There's a joy to hating, but you know, that's, and I'm sure Aaron can attest to this. It's part of being a poster. That's right. <laughs> it's, it's one of those things where like it, the, the ugly underbelly of like being a poster is that the thing that will inevitably get you more attention, more engagement, more followers is, the most like absurd and backwards ass take you could possibly make as long as you can withstand all the vitriol. Like, you know, if you just mute it and move on, you'll start seeing uh, the positive results of it and, you know, won't get the death threats. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know if the death threats ever stop in, in certain that's, spaces. That's fair. We'll say. Totally fair. Uh, but Yeah. Yeah, it's true. I don't know. I think my problem is that I don't stop like talking. So like, because a lot of people who are good at posting or good at like packaging it in a bite-sized way. And I feel like I just like ramble. And that always isn't always as good on Twitter. Um, so yeah, but Twitter's that's Twitter's a, not real. It ain't real. No, well, I mean, it is, but it it's isn't. Not. The only real uh, place is this podcast right now. That's true. Right, that's yeah. true, yeah. We're the only people who exist right now. Any, anytime you get um, hate on the internet like, from now on, anytime anyone comes at me with something and contradicts me or questions my logic, I'm just going to respond with, you will come down soon too, you will come down too soon. <laughs> that's what I'm going to say. <laughs> as you should, as is right and natural. Um, <laughs> uh, as the frogs, as the frogs say, would say, yeah. as is only right and natural. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, they're mood songs, right? Like they're not jams, and they're not, um, you know, they're not even like kind of folky fragments the way Jesus Christ was an only child is. They're 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 moods, um, and I think yeah. after three like very strong songs, there's something kind of for me that's kind of what I'm looking for is to just vibe for a bit. I get it. It this is my least favorite stretch of the mm. album though. And and in particular Long Distance Drunk, the next song, uh which is just like is he playing what is he playing like bongos or something? No, it's a, it's like a the, it's either I think it's like a djembe and a tom. This is it goes on too long for me. Uh it, it should be like 
two minutes long and not almost four minutes I, I, in my opinion i love that it's too long it feels like a hangover to me it's very like it's i just have so much sense memory attached to it and i think it's so effective at that yeah it does have a different like timbre in terms of musically like you've got the hang up now the, like, or never the, the like weird pulsing <laughs> bass the yep. bass note yeah, hang it up yeah and he, he's like mostly whispering or like not like not quite whispering but singing in a, a very quiet tone of voice mostly but then occasionally with the drums you have jeremiah green like hit like you know snap you know a note it's really uh, it's really cool because like um if you're again if you're listening to it in the car when he hits that snap it shakes the mirrors um oh. so it's very chill until that happens and it's like whoa um it's it's pretty cool uh again perfect car record uh, but i kind of like the the vocal style where it sounds like he's constantly trailing off like he's about to, he's trying to say something and never quite get quite gets there. <laughs> yeah, we also have um, Nicole uh, Johnson again with the vocals, mm -hmm. um, the hanging up now or never uh, part, which is you know does add something to this song. Uh, adds like space, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't have much else to say about it. It, I, I get what you mean about it. Be. If, like kind of being a soundtrack to like you know your car breaking down or whatever though that's like this point of this album yeah but especially because the next song is called shit luck this plane is definitely crashing <laughs> This is the one that for me forgives any of the overstay of long distance drunk because it's it, it's so hard. It it like genuinely startles you when it comes on yeah. sometimes. It just like starts so abruptly. It's so fast and furious. Uh, man, I love it. It's so good. It's so yeah. short. It somebody on Genius compares it to Fugazi, which feels right to me. Mm -hmm. Um they just it's just this riff and yelling and it's great. Uh, and then at the end, yeah. the, there's this like harmonic squeal he keeps hitting. That's like, I don't know, it tickles my yeah. brain. <laughs> the classic, the classic, um, him doing the whammy bar on yep. the harmonic mm. thing, which is throughout this album and a lot of Modest Mouse. Um, but he he also said that uh, this song gets used in skate videos all the time. <laughs> really, um, that makes so much sense to me. Yeah, you've got a very yeah. short like two and a half minute skate demo. You know some cool tricks. This one would be the one for it. I actually, when I was like yeah. a, a shit eating like high school kid, you know, and we were playing in a band, uh, we just like learned this riff, and and our drummer learned you know the 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 beat to it. And whenever we would be like sound checking, when they're like, "Can you guys all play together?" <laughs> Sometimes we would just like decide to be shitheads and play this for a minute. Um, and it. It, it was always really fun for us. Probably not for nice. the sound guy. It just probably didn't work for him. But uh, but it was a good time. <laughs> This would be so much fun yeah, to this play is, live. This is not a very developed song. It's pretty short. Um, I guess that's what my one complaint. It basically is that one note and then just kind of 
grooving on that for a little bit. I do like that he talks about, you know, these things of large proportions, these events, plane crashing, boat sinking, and then he says, my heart is slowly drying up. You know, mm-hmm. you got the you got the things, the largeness of the world, and then you also got the interior personal stuff uh, right in. It's almost like a cliche to talk about that, but um, but yeah, that is like a, a pure... It's the, yeah, the lyrics... Isaac Brock. Lyrics work. It is dead stupid. Like, it is like the easiest pentatonic riff that you would just brain dead come up with the solo and then um just being as loud as you can but that's on an album that's been really kind of that's alternated between weird proggy complexity and mood pieces like it feels it's like bracing it's refreshing yeah it's the most like a punk song of any anything yeah almost anything they've ever done because they they even their like early days are usually closer to like a post hardcore thing than, than actual punk. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. He did mention in an interview being very influenced for a while from like, you know, DC, uh, like nation of Ulysses and some of that's that, that kind of stuff. Right. The good, the good um, shit. <laughs> but, uh, next we have, uh, Oh boy, do we, and Oh boy, do we have uh truckers Atlas? Yeah. The- Best opening drum. Riff. It's not just I the opening know. drum riff, it's the only one. Just Yeah, it just grooves <laughs> on that forever. this has i think this has been sampled in like hip-hop i'm pretty sure this opening i I can't remember place exactly what it's a drum riff that comes into my head all the time like it's maybe the catchiest drum riff i've heard yeah outside of like you know tonight tonight or something like it's there's something hooky about it and then you have the bass line which is the other thing i really associate the song the boom 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 which is the perfect baseline for this yeah. song. No, the rhythm section is really the thing carrying this whole song. Literally towards the end, that is all you're hearing. But yeah, we haven't talked about it too much. But Eric Judy, like, such a good bassist. <laughs> you know, like he's so like melodic and fluid. And there's something like when yeah. I think of trailer trash, especially like I think of that, like kind of like running baseline on there. That's just sort of like sliding down the scale and back up it during the, the verses. Mm-hmm. And then that outro, that's just that very simple kind of like boom, doom, doom, doom. And it's just like, it, it just works, you know, it has this kind of like hopeful tinge to it. That just like is a very it's, simple it, it, little like progression, but uh, has so much it's, kick to it's it. It's almost carrying, it's almost carrying the melody. Mm-hmm. It, it does that in a few songs. Like, when I think about Dramamine, you know, the first thing you hear is that bass line, and it, it's the core of that song. Um, a lot of what Isaac Brock does on a guitar wouldn't work if you didn't have the kind of bass lines Eric Judy does. Yeah, like this This is a lot more of Isaac freaking out on his guitar. I mean, there are a few melodic lines, but a lot of it is him just like kind of percussively playing the guitar. Um, but yeah, 
uh, what to say about I this might be my favorite song on the album I, even with the extended outro I was not expecting that I thought it was going to be your least because of the extended outro <laughs> well the first five minutes of the song are my favorite we'll say it's so good um, I'm going to Colorado to unload my head I'm going to New York City and that's in New York friends I'm going to Arizona sex on the rocks all warm and red and we bled um, that's like Isaac Brock's yeah. whole thing in a nutshell it's like relatable um stupid joke and imagistic surrealism surrealism all in one stanza and and this song really you know solidifies solidifies this album's reputation as a road album because you know he's talking so much about this trucker's atlas roads the ways the freeways and highways don't know the buzz from the bird on my dash road locomotive phone you know like it's 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 so groovy. And I, I love the how unsettled the guitar arpeggio is and the uh, I don't feel and it feels great uh, section. Yeah, like, that's my favorite part of the song. I don't feel and it feels great. I sold my atlas, my brakes, there's I do lines and I cross roads. I cross the lines of all the great state roads. It's like a, I don't know, because the there's not a, really a tonal center for most of the the original the as the song goes through. It's mostly rhythmic, and then that comes in and it, it brings this very unsettled uh, minor quality to it. That's like, oh, this is where we're at. <laughs> like, there's it's like a again a moment of clarity uh, in this well, tumble. I, yeah, the thing that I do like about this song is that uh, a lot of the other songs like uh, Teeth Likes God Shoeshine, when that moment of clarity happens, they really slow down, like there's no drums. Mm -hmm. But this kind of like maintains the groove, like while he's, while it kind of gets more sad and contemplative. And like the fact that it does, it it manages to be both of those things at the same time, I think is is kind of a miracle. I don't know. I think it really works. That's what I like so much about especially we'll say the first five minutes of this song and the way that like the 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 guitar riff kind of it kind of it kind of like recedes into affinity like it kind of the better than better than you know like mm. it has a um yeah it's a, and it's then, a trick he'll and then use we have an extended uh jam it's a trick he'll use a lot with like so so and it's mentioned in the doc that the extended outro is a lot of like kind of calvin johnson fucking around in the studio you get a lot more of that once Brian Deck is producing. Like that's a lot of Moon in Antarctica, mm -hmm. and it's done better there because Brian Deck knows what he's doing uh, in a way that Calvin Johnston doesn't. Uh, I mean, Calvin Johnston just lets them keep playing, right. and I assume a lot of studio cuts. You know, the band continues to play, and they're just like, "Well, they'll probably fade us out at some point." But no, this track they just keep just keep, they just keep playing for five minutes. It's that which that jam like, band I used core. to. Yeah, I used to kind of hate because. I liked the first half of the song so much that I was kind of like, I want more like you to like go through the chord progressions again or something, mm -hmm. you know, and, but instead it's just like kind of a jam. Uh, but over time, I don't know. I I've started to like it a lot more. So yeah. yeah if, I don't know. if you're, if you're feeling it, it's a, it's a bit like um some of those Sonic youth extended jams. Like if you're feeling it, then it's, you can just kind of travel along with them. And there's, there's, there's this great, almost epic quality to it. But if you're not, if you want the song back, <laughs> it is very annoying. And, and I've been on both sides of that for sure. Yeah. 
It does make me think. I like this better, but it does make me think of that Kanye West song. Uh, was it Thirty Hours? Where it's like, oh god, that song has is like very tight and well produced for like the first two minutes, and then like the last part is just him like incoherently rambling probably on like five different medications like rambling just like being like oh this is this is the outro part (laughs) yeah and and like that's the worst example of that to me because it like kind of i kind of just want to cut that it's like cut that god damn it please (laughs) but i don't know not uh one of the worst decisions that kanye west has made in his life no there's a lot of competition there (laughs) um but yeah i i've grown to like trucker's atlas more in spite of uh, the outro, but yeah, sometimes you want that groove. Um, what is it? Oh yeah, at the end, like um, they describe like them sort of punching in reverbed out like vocals from previous verses and stuff like that, and you have that like one sound that's just like woo for like two seconds mm-hmm. that they just didn't edit out. I don't know. There's no again, editing on this song whatsoever. No. Again, it's like amazing to me how epic of a scope and scale this album was considering like the means with which it was recorded, you know, compared to something like, okay, computer or, you know, something like that, which is like kind of a state of the art production. You know, the fact that they were able, just the fact that they were able to extract so much uh, scope out of it is, is, is amazing to me. I, I think part of it is also too, we talk about like, you know, in the 80s, like, so many bands had trouble recording, and the recordings, uh, some of them sound kind of like ass in, t- in terms of, I don't know. I, uh, I, no offense to old Husker Du records. They, they have do sound like interesting. ass, though. Yeah, but it, it, by the, like, later 90s, it becomes easier for bands with less money to record and have it sound better, so I think that's part of it, but still... I, I don't know. I, I mean, also, I mean, they're just a really tight band. Like, they're a band that's been playing together, like, for years now. They they play all the time. And I that's kind of what I like about it is that it is an epic scope without an epic palette. Um, and mm-hmm. so it allowed you, you really can see how layered the songwriting is to pull that off. Uh, there's very few, like, songy songs on here, things that I would consider a traditional song, you know, like... The next, like Polar Opposites might be maybe the only one. Yeah, I was going to say, speaking of songy songs, we got Polar Opposites. This is the most kind of whatever song mm-hmm. for me on this really? album. I guess it works as a kind of recovery from Trucker's Atlas. You know, it sounds the most like something that would be on Building Nothing Out of Something to me. It sounds like Built to Spill to um, me. Mm. Although Built to Spill would have like a, you know, a longer guitar solo with weirder sounds in sure, it. Sure, but if we're thinking like, you know, Philek era, um, there's nothing wrong with love built to, sp- I mean, mm-hmm. that's just, that's kind of what it feels like to me. You're right, yeah. I think you're, you're That's right my there. actually, uh, that's I, when I, Built to Spill kind of started falling off for me. I really don't like Keep It Like a Secret and I love Perfect From Now On and just kind of like the unwieldiness of it. But I think that you're definitely right. It's kind of like that short, sweet little hook, a little mindless, um, but still fun little ramshackle. I do think like the line I'm trying to drink away the part of the day that I cannot sleep away has been like one of my favorite Isaac Brock lines for a while. I think partially because like I was kind of an alcoholic in high school (laughs) for that same reason, like, you know, rural areas, there's nothing to do. So you just 
you know, and if you're depressed too, you're, you're either sleeping or drinking because you don't want to perceive the world. <laughs> um, there's yeah. something very I, I think it's... effective about that. A very simple and one. I know I should go, but I will probably stay. And that's all you can do about pretty similar like bob pollard type coping mechanism with shows where i still think he drinks before shows although he said he mostly doesn't drink outside of that now because he had like a dui he he actually went to jail for a dui at one point um and you know he's had issues with alcoholism and also he seems to be someone who like also has trouble sleeping (laughs) um so I can relate to that, but um, I like the song. I do it, like it, the... it feels like it, it's serving a similar role as like Paper Thin Walls on the next album as like a traditional oh, pop. Oh yeah, you're right. Traditional pop song after a very long experimental section. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I like the line: two one-eyed dogs. They're looking at stereos. Hi-fi gods try so hard to make their cars low to the ground. These vibrations oil its teeth. Primer gray is the color when you're done dr- dying. It's so good. It's like it. It is very much like extracting poetry from, you know, these very kind of working class things in a way, you know, where it's not like gawking at it or anything. No, it's like it's your environment. You It's like you're writing poetry about what you see and what you know. Um, and it's just like what you see and what you know uh, rarely is written about by people who aren't, you know, in master's programs or whatever yeah to be honest this is why i like granddaddy a lot too because they have some stuff like this as well but where they talk in very poetic terms about like monday i mean like i said it's the randy describes eternity right uh but yeah uh next we have bankrupt unselling um so yeah this one apparently started as a uh, acoustic guitar riff that dan galucci was just playing and at when they were in the car you know the van touring and Isaac Brock just started singing over it, and that's how I feel. Song I feel like you started. can kind of tell that this is not a song that Isaac started because it uses full normal chords. Well, all the Apostles there sitting in swing saying I'd sell off my savior for a set of new rings and some sandals with the style of straps that cling yeah. rather yeah. than like weird arpeggios. Um I, I like it a lot. I think it's gorgeous. I, I, I Yeah, we got the most like um you know, religious imagery probably of any of the songs. Well besides Jesus Christ was an only child. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, sorry, besides that. Um yeah, well and it's got this very lovely it's just acoustic guitar, Isaac, and this very lovely, um, almost uh, like Roy Orbison style guitar lead. Um, this sort of e- like very echoey and cold, and, and it's it's kind of a gorgeous little song. Um, and it's got speaking of, of of people, by the way, who went to college. Yeah, that that stanza um, is my favorite stanza. 
<laughs> like, yeah. It, well, I'll go to college and I'll learn some big words and I'll talk real loud. Goddamn right, I'll be heard. You'll remember the guy that said all those big words. He must have learned in college. I, I remember kind of feeling that way when I when I left home to go to college because a lot of my friends didn't, um, and I, I you know I was somewhat fortunate to be doing it. But I also kind of hated my friends because I was like, <laughs> you know, you feel like um, you want to show off. You want to be like I, I escaped. I got better. Um, there's something, I don't know, really effective about this. And also like cutting that down. <laughs> you'll, re you'll remember this big word guy. You will. Yeah, I, I, I think I, that's also what I kind of hated about college. What I struggled with is this sense of like self-importance. Oh, it's all The fact that you're going to, especially because I went to like a big liberal arts school. I, I really struggled with that. I, I kind of hated it there for the first several years and I ended up almost leaving school and then coming back and finishing it but it actually reminds me there's a joanna newsome song where she kind of makes fun of college uh it's i think it's called this side of the blue or something or i always interpreted it as her making fun of college students um because uh, she like dropped out of college which is yeah. funny considering how absolutely over the top she is lyrically on that album yeah um, but yeah, I came clean with myself, uh, out of love or I came clean out of love with my lover. I still love her, loved her more when she used to be sober and I was kinder heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This song, man, just gets mm -hmm. me. Per perfect placement in the album though. It really is. Um, which is why putting lounge after this is, is ridiculous. Come yeah, on. no, it's insane. Like it's a bad sequence. It's a, it's a sequence that's born of necessity, which is, how do you fit all these songs on four sides of vinyl when a side of vinyl can hold 15 at most 20 minutes of music? Um, and they did it by making some bad decisions. Oh, and yes, this kind of downbeat sad note gets you into our final triumphant note, styrofoam boot, bo God, I can't say words, styrofoam boot slash it's all nice on ice, all right. Just a random thing. I, it's the most like that's something that I would make up as like an eight year old just saying uh, it's all nice on ice. All right. <laughs> but um, I like the opening line. We got the we got the acoustic guitar and he's saying, well, all's not well, but I'm told that it'll all be quite nice. You'll be drowned in boots like mafia, but your feet will still float like Christ. Well, I'll be down. They were right. My feet flow like Christ. I'm in heaven trying to figure out which stack they're gonna stuff us if it's into when Peter and his monkey laughing. I'm that. What a what a place to get your head stuck on. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it also comes from like being a survivor, you know. This is what I talk about about like these albums being ultimately kind of triumphant, even though they're dealing with some dark stuff, mm -hmm. you know, in comparison to like, you know, God, I was watching the documentary, um, uh, the decline of Western civilization, the punk documentary, um, which is like LA mm -hmm. punk in the eighties. And everybody in that documentary is like being like, everything sucks and is shit. Nothing matters, you know, <laughs> uh, which is a uh, very, uh, in vogue again now, uh, but uh, that's what I loved about the, that's what I couldn't relate to about a lot of that stuff and that's what I loved about this is that there's something like 
triumphant to it. It's like the worst thing in the world happens to you. You get you get killed by the mafia, but it doesn't matter somehow, you know, you transcend mm-hmm. anyway, you know, there's just something to that. Yeah, and there's something like, uh, yeah, so he meets, you know, Christ or whatever, and then like, or it says like, God takes care of himself and you of you. Like there's something almost Zen-like of that. <laughs> like, yeah, no, God doesn't care. That's fine. <laughs> I also love, well, some guy comes in looking a bit like everyone I've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> he moves like Crisco There's Disco. A... Oh, yeah. And we got the uh, another Listerine mention. We, we we talked about Listerine in the previous episode. Mm-hmm. That's so weird that, that Listerine is a, is a thing on both albums. Popular, popular beverage. I the reason I like the uh some guy comes in looking a bit like everyone I've ever seen is there's there's somebody that I know nice guy but he's in like the indie music scene like he's worked on some big albums um and he looks like I swear every time I go to a show I see like five clones of this guy I'm like oh that looks like him and that look cuz he he has that look and it's that it's that fucking look of like people who go to the, you know, the kinds of shows that I go to of like, is this Jack Antonoff? Are you telling us about Jack Antonoff? <laughs> no, but it is someone who kind of looks like that, you know, <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's like, it, this person has long hair, but it has a particular type of glasses. And just like, everyone looks like that. And everyone dresses like that. And I don't know. I just think that's such a funny lie. Especially like sometimes when I'm feeling like bitter about music stuff, I'm like, wow, this is like, you're we- you're just wearing another uniform, but you're not calling it that, you know? I don't know. My Holden Caulfield side comes out again. I'm just like, fuck this shit. They're all posers. But, uh, yeah. But yeah, I-, I just love the, you know, he said, you're right. No one's running this whole thing. He had a theory. It's the, the Randy describes eternity aspect of it. You know? Yeah. Uh, there's I, It's such a... It's a bit like Jesus Christ was an only child in that it's like, it's sort of a dressing down of religion. Like it's very, it's just like, oh, they're just guys <laughs> um, doing whatever. Um, I think. And then we have the the most awesome drum yeah. uh, part. It's very skippy. Breaking into, yeah. The, breaking into it's all nice on ice. All right. It's just like, you know. Uh, it weirdly like for an album because like the lyrics are, are very good on this album generally like something so simple that like a you know six-year-old could come up with saying on top of things like works it kind of feels like they kept jamming on the song and so he just had to make up lyrics on the spot <laughs> yeah it, it, it makes it feel triumphant somehow even though the words don't mean anything yeah, fuck, god doesn't exist or doesn't care but that's fine because it's all nice on ice all right. Yeah. Into it. It, it. He does a similar thing with Moon in Antarctica. Um, but there's something a little bit more. It's a little bit less constructed and more natural. It's more spontaneous feeling here, I'd say. Um, versus like what people are made of that, that track. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also makes me wonder. It's like <laughs> Isaac Brock like burned out his, his, uh, creative cosmic energy so much on these two albums in particular like i can imagine that uh spiritually draining you because it's like 
these albums really are trying to be so many different things and trying to like it's it's almost trying to tell you how to live you know in a weird way in an abstract way yeah it's it's that um i don't know there's like a a a big lebowski shamanic quality to it (laughs) yeah I was gonna say Chuck Bukowski, so that's that's probably better. Or sorry, Charles Bukowski. I, yeah, but I hate Charles Bukowski. <laughs> I think he's bad. Yeah, yeah. So I, I I'm sorry. To well, <laughs> na- name dropped by Isaac Brock on good news for people who love bad news. So yeah, who would want to be such, uh, an, such asshole. an asshole? <laughs> I like at the very end of It's All Nice. There's like the drums cut out, and it's just him saying one, two three four and, and then it and then a nothing i like endings that kind of go back to the beginning you know like the the infinity ending where it's like you could you could start up teeth like god shine again and it would it would fit together you know what i mean yeah yeah for sure i mean it's just it's it's funny it's kind of an innocuous way to end the album modest mouse always do kind of weird album enders which i kind of love about them like they're not the expected they don't sound like what you would make a closer, but they always work. Absolutely. Okay, so that's Lonesome Crowded West. Do we have closing thoughts? Uh, Aaron, do you have closing thoughts? Uh, my closing thoughts on this would just be that uh, this is, I think, Modest Mouse's like definitive statement. Um, I, I love a lot of their music. I, I like the stuff that they put out after this quite a bit, Moon in Antarctica, and then even Good News and... Uh, the name escaped me. We were we were dead. We were, no, dead. We were dead before sank, the right? ship even sank. Uh, I actually really like that one with Johnny Marr on it too. Um, yeah, it has okay. some great stuff. It's on got it. some good stuff. Um, even as they get like a little bit more kind of like baroque and uh, what's the word I even want to call it? Like they almost sort of like yeah. more kind of terrestrial in their leanings and sort of not vaudevillian, but you know, I, I just think of like. F- a little, a little bit, bit vaudevillian. vaudevillian. Um, but yeah, I mean, this this is an album that's just like equal parts ruminative and kind of pissed off about the circumstances of like late capitalism um, by incredible songwriters and musicians. And yeah, if you haven't listened to it, I don't know why you've listened this far, but go listen to it. If you have listened to it, uh, go listen to it again right now because you'll be mm-hmm. uh, very pleased that you did. Yeah, it's all nice on ice. All right. All right. <laughs> um, okay, so we're going to do rankings. Oh, Max, do you have any closing thoughts? I'll get into them with the rankings. Why not? Okay. Uh, so we're going to do rankings. So we have for this podcast, we have a thing where we do where we rank each of the albums that we talked about. It's just like a personal music mm-hmm. nerd thing. It's not meant to be like anything definitive. Mm-hmm. Um but we have the rankings like posted at the bottom of the website uh, to anybody who's listening. Um, that's where you can find them. Uh, but Max, do you want to start? Oh yeah, it's number one. Okay. Interpol has finally cool. been unseated. I, this is my. This is. Thank God. Yeah, I know. It, it, it won't be. This won't be unseated unless again we we ever talk about that second lifesaver album. It's it's just beyond by being what I think is a masterpiece of an album and kind of a definitive moment in a band's history. This is like one of the most personally meaningful albums I've ever uh, experienced. I, you know, it's um, the, the joy of, of being seen and catharsis all over this thing. Um, And also a great album. If you drive like two or three hours a day. Yeah. 
definitely. Classic for that. Yeah, it's weird because, yeah, I was ready when we started working on this episode, you know, when we first started considering it to to rank it lower because I had heard it so many times and because some of those slower tracks. But, you know, just listening to it idly, um, you know, I remembered why I liked the album so much. So for me, it's number three uh, after Boards of Canada, GeoGaddy, but below Vespertine and Little Earthquakes. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Great album. Uh, but the highest the highest uh, any rock band has on, <laughs> on my rankings. So, I don't know. Um, I feel sad. Everything that that's happened with, um, you know, Jeremiah Green. I wish Isaac Brock the best. I've seen some interviews of his recently. He still seems like he struggles, but he seems like a nice, affable guy. Yeah, I mean, he's, um, and he's you know, the whole, every person recording this album is like one of the, a, a great talent in music is or was and mm-hmm. like yeah i wish them nothing but the best in all their future ventures i think eric judy owns a bookstore now which seems delightful oh i know isaac lives in portland because somebody who i used to be housemates with said that they live near him and would see him around that's great um but yeah yeah well aaron thank you so, so much that's... for being on thank you both so very much for having me uh it's always a pleasure to talk music. Uh, I feel like I've like partitioned myself into a corner of Twitter where everything is like all movies all the time. Uh, my, my like posts about music, like, unless it's someone like, uh, like a Bjork (laughs) or like the Beatles, like will, you know, inevitably just like completely fail and people will be like, what the fuck are you talking about? Um, but, uh, nice to be, I mean, that's my entire yeah. Twitter presence that- there. So don't worry about that. <laughs> uh, do you have anything to plug? Uh, do I have anything to I mean, just Hit Factory. You know, we we are constantly at it and, and keeping steady there. We put out uh, episodes weekly. Um, bi-weekly episodes are, are kind of premium episodes that go on our Patreon at patreon.com slash hitfactorypod. Um, but we are available wherever you listen to or stream your podcasts. Thank you so much, Aaron. Also, you did an episode with my friend Alex Ross um, on uh, the Chuck Klosterman yes. book uh, about the 90s, which I think listeners of our podcast should check out because there's definitely an overlap there, you know, um, in terms of like talking about music. And, you know, you both talk about why the book is so bad. <laughs> we <laughs> Because Chuck Klosterman's awful. Yeah, I think I think one of the first times, yeah. Liz, you and I even interacted was just uh, our reaction to that Vulture interview that he did. Um, and, and it's when I kind of, oh you know, connected with, with Alex as well. And I was like, hey, not to like, you know, put, you know, the, this, not, not to assign homework, but would you be willing to read this book with me and talk about it because like if it's anything like this interview there's probably so much uh shit to mine here and we were right it's it's a very bad book um it's, yeah but a very interesting podcast episode, i though. had a blast talking about it uh it's it's one that has yielded um yeah it was it was a lot more successful than i thought it was going to be we we had you know an interview with uh with a writer not long ago who was wanting to talk about hit factory who said that that was the first episode they ever heard about um so i was like cool very awesome i'm glad to shit on klosterman for like two plus hours and uh yeah find like-minded <laughs> people 
Awesome. Yeah, I I actually had Alex on my old podcast that I was running for a short time called The Blood Zone. I had him on. I made him watch with me a bunch of documentaries about indie games because he follows uh, the game space. We talked about the ideology behind the indie games boom of the early two thousand or early twenty tens, which actually like weirdly matches up a lot with indie music, mm-hmm. to be honest. Um, but yeah, anyway, um, yeah, thank you so much, Aaron, for for coming on. Um, do we have what? What were we going to talk about next episode? We're going to do uh, Sufjan, oh, right? Yes, right. Uh, so uh, I had a Twitter poll, um, and. The winner was Sufjan Stevens' Michigan album, which is kind of what I wanted to do anyway, uh, but not what Max wanted to <laughs> which do. Which is why we had a poll. <laughs> um, and you're all I, dead I to me. Everyone to... who voted for Michigan is dead to me. Well, I didn't want to do the Decemberists, who almost won, uh, uh, but we might have to do them anyway. We will, um, but yeah, maybe just not that album. <laughs> But yeah, and that will be the beginning of our... So we've had this this trip to the 90s. That'll be the beginning of our official, quote-unquote, season two best new music era of, of Pitchfork. Or Kitchfork of Pitchfork and Pitchfork. So get ready get for ready. that. It's going to be a whole thing. <laughs> and also, I uh, just a reminder, we have a show email. So email us if you have questions or you know about our episodes or anything like that. Um, kitchforkpodcast at gmail.com. It's also linked on the page, but yeah, yeah, hit us up. All right. But otherwise. So again, thank you, Aaron, for being on. It was lovely to have you. Um, I've been your co-host, Max Cohen. I've been your other co-host, Liz Ryerson. And this plane is definitely crashing. Let's go.